I'm Dr. Future, your host. I invite you to join me as together we experience a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And this is a new week, a new guest. And yes. we have a guest that I've been wanting to have for a long time on our show. Yeah. Uh, by the name of Peter Jones, Dr. Peter Jones, mm-hmm. who began a ministry called Christian Witness to a Pagan Planet mm-hmm. and is now known as the Truth Exchange. Mm-hmm. And uh, he wrote many books, one of which I just finished, called Capturing the Pagan Mind. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about that whole thing, about the Christian witness to a pagan country. Uh, mm-hmm. Pagan America, and I want to thank uh, Brother Chris Vanover out there as the uh, influence that put me on to Dr. Jones. He's the one who actually gave me this book, oh. and I appreciate who yeah. who stopped in and been on our show a brother, couple times. Brother Chris, yeah, he's always welcome. I kind of wish he could have sat in on this. That would have been a nice mm, Should have thought about that. Yeah, should have had yeah. him in there. Well, you know, I mean, with all our audio problems, though. Yeah, and let me mention that, too, to our yeah. audience. Uh, uh, Dr. Jones could only be with us originally for an hour. Uh, he's a very much in demand kind of person. Uh, uh, a lot of duties uh, at seminary or at the school where he teaches and faculty, plus this ministry. And then when we be- began, we had mysterious audio problems that we've yeah. never run into before. How weird. That we still don't understand to this point. I mean, we worked our way around them and figured out a way, but we still don't know what happened. Yeah. What's we don't all know that about? I don't mean to, like say there's a demon behind every corner but <laughs> it was strange there's a demon in your computer and it was really bizarre get the holy water out yeah, that's right uh, well we need to go uh listen to uh, dr jones i think you'll really enjoy this but it's just uh sort of wet your whistle a little bit from what he can do i would highly recommend you get his book go mm-hmm. to the links at futurequake.com but with no further ado this is dr peter jones and then we'll be right back to discussing on future quake Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I'm Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And we have a wonderful, prestigious guest with us yes. uh, today. We have Dr. Peter Jones, who's the Executive Director of Truth Exchange. And we're going to talk about the Christian challenge in a pagan America today. And uh, Dr. Jones, I not only want to welcome you onto our show, being such a prestigious guest, mm-hmm. but also thank you for your tremendous patience with us, with our audio difficulties we had before we got this interview going. I w- just want to thank you so much for your patience and joining yeah. us today. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be with you both. 
uh, Doctor Future. I guess I'm Doctor Past. I don't know. <laughs> Tom will do, but uh, actually, um, or maybe present. I'd like that. Okay. Present. It's not like you know Dickens. It's not a Christmas Carol or anything we're dealing. With. Uh, actually, actually, a uh, a very wise gentleman and pastor uh, uh, gave me your book and recommended to, to have you on the show. And that was a very, very wise suggestion he made because I want to tell you how much I enjoyed uh, your book, uh, uh, Capturing the Pagan Mind. And that's what I want to talk about today. Uh, to, to begin our very brief discussions, because our time is really short, can you give us just a couple-minute capsule about your background and how it led to your interest in, in reaching the newly pagan mo- modern culture that we now have? I'm going to blow your listeners away. I was raised in Liverpool, England, a close friend of John Lennon of the Beatles. And, um, well, we tried to I, schedule John, but you were the next best thing we could get. <laughs> Actually, for for an extra fee, I could channel him. But... <laughs> hey, we already know some people who oh, can do geez, that. Yeah. We've run into them in the last year. <laughs> yeah. so. But I came from Liverpool, England, uh, to do theology in the States, and um, that was in 1964, the same year as the Beatles came, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, a naive theological student from Europe, and I was amazed how Christian America was. I'd never seen anything like it growing up in sort of godless Europe. But um, I finally left after studying in a few well-known universities here to teach the New Testament in godless France. So I kept flipping from Europe to America, and then I went back to France, or when I went to France and taught there for 18 years. So then I came back to the States in 91 and went through enormous culture shock, having discovered that I already discovered an America that was very spiritual, Christian. In 91, I discovered that America was changing religions. It was still spiritual, but Christianity was more and more being pushed to the margins. Mm-hmm. That's what got me interested. I began to ask what's happened to America in mm. that short period of time, and I began to <laughs> I began to think to myself that the real American Revolution did not take place in 1776, but in 1966. Mm. Mm. Wow! And that actually we didn't know it but something massive took place to affect the body politic and theologic that has really is it really describes what happened today at the inauguration of uh Barack Obama mm-hmm. it's almost like we have there a coronation of the fundamental ideas that drove that 60s revolution hmm. And I find it very, very fascinating to make that connection on this very day of January the 20th, 2009. Hmm. So you're saying that uh, what you observed today during the inauguration ceremonies was a fulfillment of something that the groundwork has been laid for the last uh, 40-plus years or so? Right. Okay. That's right. I, I believe that the fundamental notions that drive this new administration are the fruits of that revolution that began in the 60s and will actually Dr. Future determine really the future of America in very different ways than the original American experiment 
the Puritan understanding of cultural life and so on in the days ahead, and I believe will affect the future of the planet in mm. equally massive ways. Mm. And, and this, well, I'm sorry. That's <laughs> that's to throw you a few massive uh, yeah. balls. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what we'll have interesting yeah. to talk about today. Yeah. You, you, you know, it's funny you mentioned this about the U.S. because uh, I just pulled off a story that for our news segment this week that we'll do uh, from a major uh, TV presenter in BBC who says how dangerous it is to express your Christian faith in Britain today and yeah. how it's off limits to mention it in the entertainment industry there right. in Britain. And I know there are numerous steps down the road, and we've tried to cover that in our shows, about yeah. uh, how caustic uh, Christian, traditional Christian belief systems are, even amongst the clergy in yeah. in the U.K. It's very weird. Uh, but uh, I, I want to know, why do you feel like you are called to, uh, for lack of a better term, the pagan culture? And why do you well, think you know, this subject will be so important to us as Christians in our mission? Exactly. I, if, if your listeners think that I'm sort of one of these evangelists to pagans, I'm not. I sit in my room, I write books, I'm a father of seven children, I'm, I'm not very exciting. You know, I, I'm not out there at um, some of the witchcraft events and trying to get involved in, in the pagan culture. I'm an observer of what's happened to America. So you would be uh, like Elijah, which, for example, that would call fire right. down yeah, and yeah. have I'll the leave that male one priest. to Elijah <laughs> and, and other brave people. But I do believe, actually, it's funny you should mention that. I preached a sermon the other day on, on Carmel and Elijah as a true biblical hero because I think that that's where we are right now and so my interest is in describing to Christians why they feel so marginalized, because the culture has marginalized us by becoming radically pagan. It used to be very Christian. It's now radically pagan. And I believe, Dr. Future and Tom, that we cannot do evangelism in America anymore if we don't understand that radical transformation that has occurred in American culture in the last generation. All right. Well, the uh, the book that, that I read that was passed on to me called Capturing the Pagan Mind, one of many that, that um, you have written, uh, actually um, – uh, describes the situation, the history behind uh, this conversion of our country in the Western world toward pagan thinking, and then gives a strategy at the end for the church and how to adjust our tactics based upon this knowledge. And it's a it's a real soup to nuts uh, mm. coverage. I know it's not your your only word you, you say on the subject because yours is a far reaching ministry, but it's a fascinating book. It, but you you focus a good bit of your time early in the book on ancient Rome, yeah. and on, and on our show we spend much of our time trying to understand the future by looking on the past. We talk about right, as much right. about history as we do the future. Uh, and, and what I found in your description, it was chillingly uh, reflective of our own culture today uh, as far as ancient Rome uh, goes. To explore this further, how did the Roman government policy back at that time of, of what we know as bread and circuses uh, define and reflect their culture? And how did it affect the, the psyche of the populace there? Uh, as well as their, their overall global uh, grip that they had, you know, with their all-pervasive right. empire around the world. Well, you know, I, th I think the bread and circuses, the penis et circuses, 
was a way of dumbing down a population to be able to manipulate that population so long as the the rulers were giving them sort of what they wanted at that basic level uh they could pretty much do anything they wanted and it reduced the sense of the population of any kind of moral sensitivity of course the circuses were themselves both very paganly religious they were all offered to various gods but they were horrendously immoral in allowing people to enjoy the shedding of human blood. Mm-hmm. So we have a culture back then that was morally insensitive, that lost its sense of conscience, and was able to be manipulated uh, for all kinds of political reasons. So, you know, I'm seeing a culture today that yeah. being fed the sort of violence and pornography through the various uh, media, uh, visual media, as being dumbed down and not able to think about history and our meaning and who, what we've come from and so on, uh, thus a culture that can be endlessly manipulated for all kinds of goals that our rulers may have for us. So hmm. I think the parallels are most uh, instructive, as you hmm. noted yourself and I guess we had you our know, circ- we-, we had our circus today, did we not? Yeah. Wasn't that we one of the circus indeed. of pageantry uh, to keep people right. appeased and uh, yeah. give people a shot in the arm? That oh, they're weird. Now, of course, there's nothing wrong with circuses. The fact is, though, that uh, in ancient Rome they had something like 170 circus days days off wow. where the populace went to the circus. So I mean, the amount of work that was was extremely limited. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right that there is a sort of a, a euphoria that's come over us in the last uh, few months that I worry about, uh, where people think that, you know, the utopia is about to break open mm-hmm. and that we can do it without mm-hmm. hard work, without a commitment to morals to the family and all those kinds of things. So well, we're gonna, I think we're in for a rude shock. We're going to talk about that as far as a comparison now because uh, you wrote this book in 2002, and much has happened since then. In fact, I believe the, the bread is getting ready to be supplied in mass, uh, right. particularly over the next year. I mean, it, that has also grown since the 60s uh, with right. the Great Society, but it's getting ready to take off uh, very big. And then, but, but one of the things, as far as the, the external society changed dramatically, once the state began to control and manipulate the desires of the public, uh, dumbed them down, made their desires very, very simple, and then met those needs as a form of control. But within each home, within the family unit, there were drastic changes within the family unit with this uh, affluence that they had in the culture and the newfound luxury of recreational time and things. How was the family unit affected uh, when this happened? How did it evolve? Well, of course... The true Roman family uh, depended upon others to do the work for it. In other words, in Rome, probably two-thirds of the population were slaves Mm. to serve the free. And so the family was based upon slave work. There were some families wealthy, some of them a thousand slaves. Can you believe me? A thousand slaves? Yes. <laughs> wow. 
<laughs> my, my wife only has one. <laughs> That's right, and, and you do very well. Uh, but um, That's you off the hook to play with the radio. Yeah. You? Yeah. But, you know, th- this is a, a, a level of uh, ease and uh, wealth that we can hardly imagine. Yeah. Well, then, you, you know, you have the development of the Peter Familias, the head of this organization that was a person who was often autocratic uh, because of all the power that that father had. And then you have the development of feminism in a funny kind of way, whereas where the women were able to affirm their power as well. So you had a, a basic breakdown of the family into autocratic authorian rule, authorial rule, and then you have the breakup of that by by the 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 wife who goes her own way too hmm. and you often get statements in roman literature of the sons who hate their fathers so and of course in rome you had the typical uh elements in in that part of the society of um pansexuality and especially homosexuality as well so on the sexual level you have a, a society that looks very much like ours as well so are you saying then that the fruit of their recreational time or, or what, what the Bible might even call idleness to some respect, the fruit of it was uh, a means of self-exploration and self-centeredness that led to experimental sexuality, uh, of course reduced birth rate. Uh, everyone, rather than being family-centered and family goals, became individualistic goals yeah. and sort of split each individual off from each other. Right. Hmm. I that's not the ultimate explanation of um, perverse sexuality, but it's, it would be part of it. I think the the pagan ideology or the pagan religion explains homosexuality better than mm-hmm. the state of you know ease and uh, plenty. But it would be doubtless part of that. Well, we're going to talk about the, the the spiritual side too, because that was an additional element that the state used, according to your writings, to control the populace. And by by the state controlling our the religious expression, they used it for their own political ends, just like they did the entertainment media that were provided to them, right. certain freedoms that were allowed that um, uh, took away from from the, the the moral turpitude of the people, uh, but. Uh, it, it were all means of control. And the, and the last phase of that that you briefly alluded to in your book, which I recommend everybody read, uh, and in fact, if you don't mind, Dr. Jones, I'll be putting your link at Future Quake with our with our show here so people can have a mechanism by which they can get to your book, because I really recommend yeah, you I, read it. If you're recommending that book, I think it would be fair to your readers to tell them that, um, unfortunately, the publisher allowed it to go out of print, Mm. And we bought Bummer. it back. Oh, okay. And you can get it through my website. Wonderful. Oh, great. Wonderful. Well, it's better to send the money directly to you anyway. I yeah. would prefer that anyway. But 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 what happened is in, in the discussion in your book, these things converge to where they create a an autocratic police state. Mm-hmm. And this police state, one, one of the things that works is that basically they created a first globalist society. And one of, one of the wonderful things of it was that culture through Hellenization, cult, culture spread back and forth. People be able, were able to enjoy the fruits of each other's uh, taste and fashion and food and all these other kind of things, and people were cosmopolitan. The dark side was was that Big Brother was everywhere, 
That's right. Uh, and, and also, I like to say that the the, the Roman um, the Roman emperor joined in himself all the fundamental elements of uh, power. He was the Pontifex Maximus, that is the high priest. He was the political head of state, and he was the commander in chief. <laughs> right. Talk about a joining of powers in one person. That's what you had. And you see, that's why the Christians were so subversive, because they refused to say Caesar is Lord. They would not give to, they prayed for Caesar, but they would not give him that absolute totalitarian power. Mm. And thus they were subversive in the way that a normal Roman citizen wouldn't be. In fact, um, Tacitus called Christians haters of humanity. Mm-hmm because they wouldn't play the Roman game of giving total obedience to the uh, emperor. So it's an amazing, amazing situation. And I believe, Dr. Future and Tom, that our society is going towards a joining of church and state. Oh, yeah. That is to say, a joining of a pagan church and state. And, and And then we will realize how powerful that movement is. You spent most of your life studying this, studying the history, becoming an expert on ancient and current pagan movements, the influence on our culture. And based upon your expertise and focusing on this, you see we're on a collision course. Is that right? Yes. I I really feel that more and more it will become clear that Christians, like the ancient Christians, will refuse to say Caesar is Lord, and they will be more and more... Uh, eliminated in one way or another, uh, marginalized, uh, stopped from speaking what they believe, and so on. And so I, I think Christians need to really begin to understand what's happening today. In order for survival, well, for for evangelism, which will be harder, of course, and for survival, for survival in the sense that we have to teach the next generation of Christians exactly what it means to be a Christian in our time, and thus for the church to survive. If we can't produce a rising generation, we're in the problem. So I I think unless we Christians understand the situation today, we're in deep trouble. Amazing. Well, um, what I understood in some of your writing before we get into the the, the, the spiritual side of, of, of how they used religion, the, the fact that while they distracted the people with, with the games, with the great opulence and wealth, uh, the book very briefly mentions that they increased their stranglehold over the public, uh, just even from the brute force of the, 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 the police state itself. Mm-hmm. And in fact, dissenters were, were extremely demoralized because they had nowhere to run. Uh, once the government had united around the world, they couldn't go run into a, another place. I just give you an example, like Martin Luther. Martin Luther had a uh, a little place that he could go in Germany to give him space to write and provide his dissent before he appeared before others. Um, it's it's getting more and more the case where such locations for dissent to thrive are no longer there. We don't have new worlds like the Puritans or like others did to go to right. to to be able to create a beachhead. 
uh, to preserve our beliefs, we, we can't. We cannot unimmerse ourselves. In other words, we have to. We have to turn. And, and I hate to use the word fight, but in a spiritual sense, spiritual battle, we we have to turn a fight. There's no way that we can uh, avoid the battle anymore once globalism has become an all-reaching uh, impact. Well, and the sooner the sooner Christians understand that, I think, the, the better for all of us. All right, we're back at the Future Quake Show with Dr. Future and Tom Bionic. And that was our first uh, taste of Dr. Peter Jones, first mm-hmm. time his, his visit on our show. Very prestigious gentleman, mm-hmm. uh, an academic, published all over the world, mm-hmm. uh, was a missionary in France, taught there for something like 18 years, yeah. and uh, theologian here. I like the, um, personally, I like the color that he brings to the interview um, his way of speaking and it it's very see succinct. I couldn't see because I'm with radio. I could like see Ray Charles. <laughs> no, I couldn't. See. I don't you know what color you saw, baby. I just saw a uh, microphone. Is all I saw. Well, I was speaking more about the uh, the literary. And, oh, okay. Uh, uh, you know the timbre and um, way he expressed himself. That timbre. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. She lives down the street. She's real sweet. Uh huh. Um, yeah, it was. It was. I mean, it was very. It was very intellectual in nature. Yeah. But it wasn't. Um, and we were overdone. rushed. We were rushed. Yeah. So we. He. He wasn't able to let his hair down. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whatever there is, he wasn't able to really. <laughs> you like, know, fully exploit his thinking, and yeah. he's a busy man. And hopefully, yeah. we're going to wear him down. Where maybe he'll lose his job, and he'll have lots of ample time to spend with yeah, us there you in go. the future. Yeah. Well, you know, with this wave of job losses around well, the country. Well, let's see if we can. Yeah, let's see if we can start calling. Uh, we maybe call anonymously to his department head yeah. or something. We can make that arrange. Yeah, yeah there we you can. Go. We can share him sometime. <laughs> Where you know, a large part of our guests hopefully be unemployed and we'll just have nothing to do but be on here with ample time to discuss these media issues. Yeah. But until then, we have to take what of Dr. Jones we can get. Yeah. You know, I was very glad that we had our time. That we I appreciate it. it. Yeah. He shared a lot about our. Um, a lot about the impact of uh, well, it, it was interesting. He brought it back to the old inauguration, mm-hmm. which I wasn't expecting. I didn't know to expect that. Well, but I guess we had a timely. Well, I think I think on review you might find that uh, his this whole interview really got into a lot of different pieces here of Future Quake. You know, both um, both our connection with you know aliens and did, uh, did we mention that totalitarian state? Well, we just did. I think okay. we did briefly, did we? Okay, I can't uh, remember. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Yeah. So. Well, yeah, uh, but we, we talked a little bit about ancient Rome. That's where his book mm-hmm. starts, and to me it was a fascinating – worth getting the book along. Yeah. His commentary on what were the key issues, and he just speaks to the words of the philosophers of the day mm-hmm. who actually wrote. So I highly recommend everybody check that out. But uh, what we do need to have checked out is Merv to come in and tell all of you all how you can get a hold of Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or Internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, thank you, Merv. We got to say goodbye. Bye-bye. That's it. Come back tomorrow. We'll have the second uh, stage of our interview with Dr. Peter Jones. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a wonderful day. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. 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 Cheese.
Welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am Tom Bionic. And this is part two Mm -hmm. of our interview with Dr. Peter Jones and his inaugural visit to our show, Mm -hmm. who is the executive director of Truth Exchange, formerly known as Christian Witness to a Pagan Planet. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about the Christian challenge in a pagan America. And uh, this gentleman is a true intellectual uh, scholar, um, Mm -hmm. has written numerous books, is on staff, uh, uh, college faculty. And, yeah, uh, I like his style too. Mm-hmm. I like his style. I hope he learned a lot from us. Oh yes. Well, you know, I we're know he's been he's been begging us forever to be on our show. We yeah. finally relented. Yeah, just <clears throat> all right. Yeah, finally. No, Doctor Jones is a great guy, and I look forward to meet mm-hmm. to getting to know him better mm-hmm. uh, as his time permits. Mm-hmm. Uh, because we we had to rush through the here. We mentioned yesterday we had to uh, do a preempted and abbreviated interview because of some technical problems that are a mystery to us. So. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we're only going to get a truncated version of things, but you're going to get the gist of it. We have links to his ministry and his books, and um, I know sometimes I jaw a lot and it limits what he can say, mm-hmm. but uh, I want people to get a taste of, of the content he covers and then just go be blown away by what he has to say in his books. That's Kaboom. my big recommendation. Kaboom. Kaboom. Yeah. Uh, yesterday he talked a lot about a little bit about his background mm-hmm. and been a missionary in uh, France, uh, was buddy-buddy with uh, John Lennon, yeah, they grew uh, when up they were together. kids, yeah, yeah. and uh, then came to the states. Uh, and after he returned to the states, he found out that we were a different country. Well, you know what? Yeah. I also uh, uh, what I slightly unrelated to that was his his take on the fact that feminism rose in Rome due to sort of idleness. Do you remember that? Yeah, idleness was my word, but that was my abbreviation of basically yeah. what he said. Yeah, yeah, they had more and more free time. And to the point where they were getting as many as 180 free days. They explored alternative lifestyles and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, feminism, the paterfamilia, the idea that sort of rose. Mm-hmm. But within within that, a peculiar form of feminism, something that I had not heard before. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, they explored all of these. Ways. And it, when you read the book, if you are the least bit perceptive, you can see that it fits our country exactly. Wow. And you know what happened after that room fell. Mm-hmm. Because it just could support a lifestyle that was unsustainable, that mm-hmm. was not um, constructive from a societal standpoint as well as economic, hmm. and uh, we're sowing those seeds today. Oh yeah. He he closed uh, yesterday's show about Christians being in danger, and that uh, a new pagan belief system is coming. He thinks this administration will submit it, and uh, Christians will be in danger because of it. So time will oh. tell. But his books will inform you on how to be better prepared. So until then, we need to bring in Dr. Jones, and then we'll be right back to wrap up the next installment of his interview on Future Quake. The whole uh, religious aspect of it, obviously, is the main focus of your book, and that's the real keystone, I think, that puts it all together, what we've just been talking about. Um, but uh, it, it's funny, we, we mentioned about the... Uh, the persecution that Christians might receive, if I remember right, just today, there was a, there was quite a bit of hubbub over uh, uh, Rick Warren uh, actually giving an invocation or something to that effect because of his stance on homosexuality. And uh, I'm not here to give a, uh, a treatise on the yeas or nays of Rick Warren, but, but the case in point that I think you're making is the fact that he had made a, a statement on one aspect, even though largely he's largely celebrated in the culture, that was enough to cause an extreme controversy within the general oh, yeah. public I mean, at large. If, if Rick Warren is, you know, criticized, then who are we to not be criticized? Because he's bent yeah. over backwards to uh, make all kinds of uh, uh, overtures to the gays. He's uh, been running for a long time now a ministry to AIDS patients throughout the world. 
he's shown that he's not against these people. He wants to bring love to them. But the very fact that he voted against Prop 8 in California was enough to bring him down for many in power today. So Obama, you know, was in a sense courageous to ask him to do what he did. But at the same time, now President Obama made sure to invite the only gay bishop in the history of the church to give the inaugural prayer yesterday, well, Sunday, actually, at the Lincoln Memorial. So Jean Vicki Robinson prayed to begin that particular event. And uh, if you read about Jean Robinson, he actually said that he was shocked by how Christian the previous prayers were right. in the history of the inauguration. And so he determined not to mention Christ or the scriptures or Christianity at all. You wonder what kind of a bishop this is, right? Yeah, And no uh, I mentioned in church on Sunday that this actually was a prayer to Baal mm-hmm. because it was a refusal uh, to pray to Yahweh. And so we're back again, you see, with Elijah wow. on Mount Carmel. Mm-hmm. Who, who, and, was, who uh, was still it, called Lord, right? I mean, That's right. Uh, Baal Lord. means Lord, actually. That's right. So, that's right. So the fact that you pray to the Lord doesn't mean anything. You have to identify who the Lord is. Hmm. And at the time of Carmel, you know, you do have the politicians, Ahab, Jezebel, really telling Israel that they can pray to both Baal and Yahweh, which is what we do today. So we're in a totally confusing time, and the fact that Warren was asked, I'm afraid, was more than undermined by the fact of inviting uh, Gene Robinson to Mm -hmm. also pray. That's why people have to study history books, and they have to study books that are outside of what they were given in their schools. They need to make an aggressive study of it because through your study, you can see clearly what is laid out. You've also read the books of people who you don't agree with, but you've read to understand their thinking, the direction they're going in recent history, and basically their plan is being laid out and being played right before us right now. And uh, you, you recognize it. I, I don't know if you feel sometimes like Jeremiah, uh, just trying to pe- wake people up. But I, I, I want to mention something here, and uh, I, I'm, I'm going to walk with uh, risk the heretical myself. And, Dr. Yeah. Jones, this is something you may not agree with me about, and that's okay if you do. But what, what I thought about when I, when I read about how Rome used the merging of church and state for their own political ends um, – I, I, I didn't think only of just the, the, the pagan religion that they used, but uh, I see sometimes that even our own uh, brothers and sisters in the evangelical faith sometimes don't understand the risk of when we get so immersed in political aims mm-hmm. and sometimes forget the mission of the church versus the mission of government. And, right. and I don't want to be misunderstood here. I am not saying that Christians do not have a role in government no, or that they don't take a moral stance or they don't take positions. But when they – government by its very nature is coercive. Uh, the church Dr. By, Mike, I agree entirely with you. Um, I believe that the church has one role, the state has another. And um, hmm. our role is to be salt and light right. in the world, not to take up the sword. And it's a very difficult role to play, but I think that we can only use the gospel to promote the church, and as citizens we can do other things. But if we make the church coterminous with the sword, 
I think we we lose everything. Well, I think of one who uh, mentioned to me about C.S. Lewis that there was after the war there was a party started of of just Christians that wanted to have a Christian-based uh, right. political party, and he yeah. refused to participate in it from, right. from the very fact that he knew one day he would be on the outside looking in. Because right. one thing about Christians is that uh, give enough time, they will disagree on something. And, yep. and it's not that uh, they are not one in Christ. In fact, I, I thought the other day that some ways it's very merciful that uh, the reason when we do have some disagreements and, and, and we, we go sometimes our, our different ways, uh, that keeps us decentralized in our leadership, and that actually helps strengthen us. Even, even when uh, Paul and uh, Barnabas had their disagreement, what happened is it, it created two new leaders that stepped up that became partners with both of them, and it doubled the spread of the gospel. Well, listen, I, I agree with you, but the witness of the church today is so much more difficult than it was a generation ago where the culture basically accepted the worldview of the church. Now it doesn't, and we're going to be on the outside for a lot of things, and I think it behoves us to understand very deeply what's going on. I would recommend that Christians... Read that book of mine. It might be helpful. There are others on my website that might be helpful, too. So well, um, what can I say in this short space of time? Well, uh, I, I just uh, I want people to recognize, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Dr. Jones, but it's very easy for us to see those who oppose us uh, on the other end of the p- political spectrum. There are right. sometimes those of us who may even claim in our same family on the same political spectrum as us that that see that merging that goes together and, and when when you become too connected to the state it causes you to compromise your right. beliefs for the sake of seeing your guy win uh, at all costs and i think some ways we've been through some of that over over the last uh, election cycle at least my own personal opinion uh, yeah. in, in that respect but but can i ask you very quickly and i know your time is short and i want you uh since since we started late to just uh, uh speak up since we've we've gone off our official time here to just let us know when you need to depart because you're uh, in high demand and we understand that but the the, the key is the understanding of the the goddess religion that's connected to the mystery religions and and if you have a few moments it wouldn't be fair to my listeners not uh to have you explain as an expert in this area what is the key elements to understanding that why did it take over the culture of rome over their earlier pantheon of gods and how is it making a reappearance today oh that's a big question (laughs) i guess the gods of rome had become very formalized related to state acts and people did them the way you know we recognize various holidays in our culture as somewhat formal and imposed upon us. Uh, the goddess religion came into Rome oh, around the time that the, uh, the Christian faith got to Rome, and they're the mystery religions from the East. Now, the goddess is the expression of pure paganism. Hmm. She is the, uh, if you'd like, she is the symbol of nature as divine. And... Um, there are all kinds of ways to access the spirituality of the goddess. And you find that in these ancient pagan religions from the East that come into the West. And now in our day, the same notion of the goddess has been reborn in our time. Isn't that odd? It happened in ancient Rome, and now it's happened in our time as well. Uh, I think the fruit 
of a certain form of radical feminism in particular and uh, the search for spirituality that went on in the 60s and many of those hippies went east and they discovered Hinduism and Buddhism and that was all brought to the west but the goddess is the symbol of that understanding of the world as divine nature is divine and in order to be one with nature there are all kinds of spiritual techniques on offer today yoga in particular and all kinds of meditations and mysticism will get you in touch with this level of spirituality you see people have gotten tired of secular humanism and they're looking for spirituality um, you have these movements in 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 Hinduism you have it in Judaism today people are involved in Kabbalah uh, in Kabbalah mm -hmm. and it's called uh, um, a sort of a reforming of, of Judaism to make it more spiritual than it has been in the past and you're discovering these techniques of spirituality so our present world at least as far as I can tell among the intellectuals I'm not sure the average person is as much involved in it, but probably will be more and more so, finds a, an attractiveness in this new spirituality, as it's called, in its many, many forms, but eventually they're all the same. They want to get you into altered states of consciousness in order to feel like you are dropping your rational abilities and and techniques in order to feel uh, mystically one with everything. All is one, you see, and you need an experience to prove that to you. And if all is one, Dr. Future, then there is no Yahweh. There's no external creator, in other words. There is no external creator. To be accountable to. Different than we are, mm -hmm. to whom we must answer. And we become, within that circle of oneness, our own divine beings and lawmakers. And that's the big conflict today. That's why I find Rick Warren on the one hand and Bishop Jean uh, Robinson on the other as those spiritual men standing before you know, the culture of our time at this moment of inauguration are the two options on offer. Mm -hmm. and and was this we can not go the, either way. Wasn't this not the original sin when, when Satan uh, decided that he would not bow before his creator? Exactly. Though he was a creative being, he would not acknowledge that and Precisely. in essence made himself God. And evidently that is something he's taught uh, the rest well, look, of us creative beings. That's right. Well, you see in the temptation of Adam and Eve, Eve is listening to creation, the serpent. Mm-hmm. She sees that that's the way to go, listening to creation that is claiming to know and re refuse the creator who really doesn't know. But he offered to illuminate her. He, also, right. he also offered to, to help her become as God. That's right. Uh, uh, through her own efforts uh, itself and not that's to rely right. on the advice of an external creator. Exactly. Which is so a that, popular that, message. That, I believe, is where we stand today in our modern culture. We're turning away 
from secular humanism were looking for answers in spirituality, and there are only two answers. Either nature is divine or the creator is. Mm-hmm. Now, in the, and, I, and the, I guess the other aspect that has the political connotation is that that ancient belief system, when it came into Rome and supplanted the pantheon of gods, was very, and excuse me if, if I pronounce this wrong, very uh, uh, synchronistic or uh, syncretistic in that uh, it easily assimilated uh, mm-hmm. other perimeter belief systems as long as they didn't resist. Sort of, right. like, sort of like the Borg of the Star Trek. I, I, I'm not that familiar <laughs> with it, but I guess the Borg, uh, from what I hear, was a group that assimilated people from around the universe. And basically they were the resistance is, is futile crowd uh, that said you can become part of us, become part of the hive mind in our, in our religion, but don't you dare resist. And so uh, once the state is consistent with that, that keeps the people docile. And in well, fact, yes, because the state needs to find power in nature as well, and um, and so what we're doing today is promoting this syncretistic interfaith religion, which uh, fits perfectly with a state that understands itself as ultimately divine. Well, I need to ask you something real quickly, um, and, and this is sort of a little uh, off off our path here, but uh, in your study of, of these beliefs, do, do, we occasionally read in history, in modern history, and in, in fact in the ancients with the Oracle of Delphi and others, that there were certain physical manifestations that occurred. Now, we know in the ancient world some of them were artificially made to fool the masses, but, but there were some things that were defied explanation, and, and in the modern era, we have certain things that occur that we haven't found answers for. Do you yeah. believe that not only just in the spiritual realms, but that, that these spiritual forces physically manifest themselves in supernatural ways here? I think so, yes. If that's the case, there, there were a series of very curious events that happened in the middle of the 20th century. Uh, looking before your 1966-ish era, uh, we had the time of Aleister Crowley. Uh, mm-hmm. We had his... Uh, Alamantra working and other workings that he proposed mm-hmm. where he made physical manifestations of these gods and his followers believed it. I, I don't know whether this is true or not. We have Jack Parsons, who's protege, doing Ron the, Hubbard. Doing, oh, and Al Ron Hubbard with him, doing the Babylon working out in the desert of Southern California. I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with that, where they went to to uh, make manifest the great whore Babylon. And then since then, there's been a host of other things. We have these strange UFO sightings and things like that that got people all the buzz. Mm-hmm. And, and again, I don't know what's true and not. Do you think any of these things could be legitimate demonic manifestations oh, I think that so. are empowering I think we these must people? Not dismiss the demonic in the level of the spiritual realm. Uh, Jesus took that all very seriously. And I think we have to as well. Well, I, I, it just makes me wonder if some of these invocations of these powerful groups that were tied to ancient orders actually helped open that doorway that right. you're talking about. Because the question comes, why now? Why, you know, in the last yep. to 40 years of generation, suddenly do we have this explosion of belief? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of reasons. A lot of it's the seed sown of our own wealth in our country and other things in the West in general. But I, I just wonder in the spiritual realms if some of these things were manifestations, just like uh, we have our own techniques when we humble ourselves and pray, and, and brothers and sisters around the country can actually open doors of blessing and revival in our country. And if also the converse is true. 
right. and if some of these things have actually uh, you know laid this basic uh, environment that we've been created. So so in this environment, you know, we we hear the new age to be a very touchy feely, very gentle uh, kind of religion. There's no there's no blood presumably involved. There's no uh, repentance for for sins or things like this. Uh, however, there's a dark side to it. Uh, again, for those who resist, and Christians are fairly unique, uh, well, in the, the monotheistic religions in general, in providing some form of resistance to this. Um, in history, what happened when Christians resisted, and what do you expect we're going to have happen? You know, it's one thing to be criticized for giving a prayer, or even to be thrown out of the military or your job. How much worse do you anticipate it's going to get as this uh, religion increases and pervades? Well, it is totalitarian, that's the point, and it will claim to be the only way. It's funny. Uh, Christianity mm. is accused of being closed-minded as the only way. <laughs> but this pagan religion is really making the same claim. Uh, it's the only way. And if people resist that, that they they then are guilty of hate speech, and they, in, in one way or another, will be asked to leave. So I think we're, we will come closer and closer to a massive face-off and you know, within, under the providence of God, I think the church might well suffer and be persecuted. But in the meantime, I think we have to prepare ourselves in our understanding of all of this in order to strengthen our faith to be able to stand in the difficult days. So let's keep that in mind. Well, there's an element of that belief system that is, is some people think are really out on the fringe, but it's a much larger group than most people understand. And I don't know if you study this in your your think tank or not, but it's the whole UFO cult religion? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I think there are a thousand different forms of paganism, and they look different from the outside, but on the inside, they're all the same. Right. Yeah. Well, th these particular groups, some of the better-known names in those groups that say they've come across extraterrestrial entities or channeled entities that were part of other parts of our universe actually take on the names of Isis or, or Osiris. Mm -hmm. They're actually using these names, and there's a group yep. called the Council of Nine you may be familiar with that includes a number of famous people that were actually channeling this group that were the nine ancient gods of ancient Egypt. So even though this is sort of a newfangled religion, yeah, they've added the well, they've added science to <laughs> it. They, they've added yep, ray, right. ray guns and extraterrestrial right. spaceships and and, and all this high tech. Have to be the same. But yeah. they haven't come up with any new ideas on the religious oh, no. thing. Same message, no. same gods that have come back. Yeah, right. And in right. fact, there was a type of Elijah experience that occurred last summer at the UFO festival in Roswell, New Mexico where uh, a bunch of these people who sort of preach into the crowd of New Age religion through the uh, imminent return of extraterrestrials. And a, a pastor gave a talk there about his ministry to people who've had events of uh, these abduction-type events that they, they feel like they've had. And he began a deliverance ministry, a spiritual deliverance ministry to these people uh, through, through uh, the, uh, the strength and the power of Jesus Christ. As a as a uh, as a real spiritual de deliverance approach, and has had tremendous success in it, and it created all sorts of fits about about as popular as Elijah it was again with the prophets of Baal. Yeah, right. It was a similar experience, and uh, I, I'm finding a lot of that battle is being fought on very remote frontiers like that. And I know your think tank is set up to 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 uh, actually try to keep track and keep tabs of that kind of thing, and and keep the church aware. All right, we're back here at Future Quake with Dr. Future. And Tom, always effervescent bionic. Yes, still effervescent. 
Well, we covered a lot more material here. Um, we, we, we sort of carried over from the last segment of the interview today, mm-hmm. uh, talking about the, the curious relationship of his area of study to what happened today, the day of this recording with yeah. the inauguration. Mm-hmm. And um, he was talking about how Christians are being attacked, particularly on things like sexual freedom and things mm-hmm. like that, and how Rick Warren um, was attacked today, even though he's considered probably one of the more most more open-armed evangelicals today toward mm-hmm. people outside society, mm-hmm. how he was attacked because of his position on homosexuality. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Jones even knows more about him than I do. They're, they're both from Southern California. Yeah. And he talked about the, the programs and the things he's done to try to reach out to the gay community, mm-hmm. and that didn't really give him much stay anyway Yeah, they just, he went they... over there. They threw him to the flames anyway. Now, you, the, he, he mentioned some other theologians, too, that you made some notes on. Who, who was that? Yeah. Uh, there's been this controversy about a guy named Gene Ritchie Robinson. He's an Episcopalian, uh, I want to say bishop, but not. I think he's just a priest. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's the first Episcopal, openly gay Episcopalian uh, priest. And, you know, it's obviously, in my, if your theology is anything like, like mine, that's sort of an affront to God, really. Mm-hmm. You know, gay Levi. By being Episcopalian? Yeah. Um, But delivering that, you know, he made the interesting comment, two interesting comments, uh, one of which I'll mention here right away, uh, giving giving this prayer uh, without, you know, being gay and without um, uh, Gene, Dr. Robinson there said that he wasn't going to talk, mention God or anything like that. It actually made it more of a ball, a prayer to ball rather than God. Ball like B-A-A-L. Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's very interesting. Even yeah. though he called him Lord. Yes. Well, Lord. Yeah. Lord is, you know, much like Allah, is just sort of a word and Yeah. How come none of the announcers pointed that out? Because they are also into ball worship. Okay. As opposed to Molech out of Bohemian Grove. Well, yeah, that's for the leaders. Okay. We got to go. Speaking of Molech, yeah. uh Merv, come in here and tell our listeners how they can contact us at Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we got like three seconds. Out. Gone. Okay. Bye. We'll see you tomorrow. Until then, we hope your future is bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. 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 Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And today we're going to have the third and final installment. In fact, it's going to be a mini installment mm-hmm. with Dr. Peter Jones, the executive director of Truth Exchange, formerly known as Christian Witness to a Pagan Planet. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the Christian challenge in a pagan America. And I, I became familiar with this gentleman through... Uh, Pastor Chris Van over here locally yes. uh, at Calvary Chapel Rivergate, who gave me a copy of this gentleman's book he wrote called Capturing the Pagan Mind. And um, that uh, book was fascinating. This guy's a tremendous mind, intellect, uh, intellectual, in fact, in community. And this uh, truth exchange is actually sort of a think tank uh, mm-hmm. to find out what's going on in the paganization of our culture 
fr- from a very intellectual way and, and uh, look at the Christian worldview and see how do we respond mm-hmm. to us living in a culture that's now becoming predominantly pagan, mm-hmm. much like it was in the early days of the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we have been spoiled in living in a land that was largely Christian up until the last generation, and now it's changed. And so we've had two shows, two sec- traditional segments already. We'll have a little mini-segment uh, today, uh, are there some things you'd like to summarize where we well, are so far? You know, we got up. You know, the first show he talked. You know, about his background, about being English, coming over here to study, go to seminary. Uh, he made some several interesting points in the first day about uh, the paterfamilia, uh, the rise of that idea, and a peculiar sort of form of feminism. Uh, interestingly, you know, this reminded and this reminded me of uh, our, our our brother in the Lord William Grigg about how the Roman emperor was kind of a kind of the guy to really join the high priest, the grand pontiff of the land, and the commander-in-chief all into one. All into one. All into one. And you know what? Most Christians think that would be the greatest thing in the world, to build entire religious leaders and our politicians into one thing. Mm-hmm. Couldn't be anything better. Give them control over the army. Until you're on the outside looking in. Yep, and uh, I would say that they are probably wrong if that's what they think. Yeah. But that's just me. Now, now let, me, let me clarify. It's not that I say that we should have leaders who are as wicked and pagan as possible. Obviously not. Mm-hmm. You would like to have your leaders to have a Judeo-Christian background. The question is you don't want to empower the state, which has only a coercive role, mm-hmm. to try to take on the church's business, which does sure. not accomplish its business by coercion. No. It does by persuasion, by example. Free will. By you always have to proclaiming, respect, the, respect the other person's free will, I pro- believe. Proclaiming the good news. Yeah. Those are the ways by which the church, as an agent of Jesus Christ, uh, does kingdom business. Mm-hmm. But yet, many people want to project those kind of business. Like, for example, making laws to try to make people uh, moral. 100% of the time, it, it breeds rebellion. Now, some people argue there's a general morality in laws inherent in itself, like do not steal. Well, that's a moral decision not to steal. Mm-hmm. It's a property rights issue. Um, I'm talking about things like your personal behavior where you don't infringe on other people. Mm-hmm. Um, when you st- in, We as Christians, when we voluntarily sign up to follow Christ, he becomes our Lord, and he has certain instructions about the way we conduct ourselves, mm-hmm. and we voluntarily make that association. Uh, along with all the rights and privileges that go with it, like mm-hmm. salvation. Mm-hmm. But we do that. But there are those in our culture who do not do that. So mm-hmm. we have to be a little careful, even though we know what's right for them. And it's not much different than a parent who knows what that was right for their child, but they realize their child basically has to have certain steps they need to do to come to that understanding hmm. without you throwing them in a cage. Sure. Sorry, I mean editorialize. No, 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 that's good. But, well, you, I think you captured nicely what I was going to say probably even better than i could no i don't know about that but um but anyway that's but but when you read the ancient history about when when religion and politics mixed it was such a deadly cocktail Mm -hmm. because they wanted to enforce um worship of the pagan gods because it was a thing of keeping the state together if mm-hmm. you didn't do that, the state was vulnerable. Sure. It's the thing that united all these people of different cultures. If you could all come, make the same, uh, even if you had slightly different beliefs and things, if you'd still make the same sacrifices, it, it kept the state whole. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of it happened when Constantine, uh, quote, Christianized the, mm-hmm. the culture later on. Mm-hmm. He did it under the guise of Christianity, but they just took all these various pagan beliefs and called them Christian. Mm-hmm. And then he wanted to make it the religion of the whole land to unify the kingdom. And then when people started, even other Christians started disagreeing on what was called, quote, Christian, mm-hmm. they um, 
you know, they became to be enemies of the state. And then, you yeah. know, all of the persecutions that happened over the years. Well, yeah, and gosh, you know, uh, as, a, as a further tie-in to sort of what we're seeing today, um, the interesting thing is truth becomes more and more relative. Uh, people become less and less tolerant of people that disagree with that position. Even though they espouse tolerance as a virtue, yes, they don't exhibit it. Yes, exactly. You see that you see that in all in all forms of society. One of the most interesting ones is the way language is abused. I think. Um, in a, I'm sorry, I don't use the best words when fired. I talk here. I'm, you know, it's the way I was raised. If that's what Done you meant. Been learned in high school. Yeah. Made it to the eighth grade. That's right. Um, no, 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 no. Uh, it's words become. Words become more fluff, I've noticed. There are some specific examples I could point out, but, um, well, you know, one of them is coming up. Uh, I think I might include it on our Friday uh, news segment. Yeah? We might do that. Really? Yeah, really. Can you, like, let us know when no. that's going to be okay? Gonna, You're going to leave that in limbo, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, if you're going to do that, I might as well just end the segment and go to the interview. Limbo going under the bar. We'll have plenty. We'll have more time to talk than you people wish we had coming back. But mm-hmm. this is going to be a brief segment concluding with Dr. Peter Jones. If you missed the other parts, go to futurequake.com. It's all updated there under past shows. So mm-hmm. till then, here's Dr. Peter Jones with the conclusion of our interview, talking about the Christian challenge in a pagan America. And then we'll be right back to talk about it further here on Future Quake. Uh, can, can, can you tell us a little bit about that group? It's called the Truth Exchange. Can you, can you tell us a little bit about how that uh, group functions? Well, we meet once a year, and uh, we have lectures on various issues regarding the expression of paganism in our time and how to respond as Christians. So uh, this time we're dealing with sexuality, actually, hmm. and, uh, how that is an issue that determines worldview in our day. Uh, last year, we dealt with pagan spiritual techniques. It was very interesting. We had people who work with American Indians. We had a guy come from um, from Africa, an African theologian, who gave a lecture on African ancestor worship. We had a guy come who wrote a Ph.D. on Carl Jung and transpersonal psychology. Hmm. Same techniques as the African ancestor worshipers. But... Yeah, we're producing a book on that, by the way, where all these different techniques really wow. come down to the same approach. And um, it's good for Christians to understand that because, of course, Christians are being tempted to use these same techniques um, one way or another. And I think that will be very dangerous for the church. So, so you're taking I hope the mask. book comes out soon. You're taking the mask off of these different techniques to find their true origin. Well, um, something I forgot to ask, and I really like to ask, because it shows the the other side of the coin to your organization, and that, uh, and, and you point them out in, in your book on the United Nations non governmental organizations. Oh, they're, they're the think tanks that are actually <laughs> promoting the other side, but with deep pockets. Uh, and I mentioned to you. Um, uh, and I don't know if you've even had time to look at this. Uh, my invitation I had last summer that's sponsored oh, by a United yeah. Nations NGO and the World yeah. Council of Churches uh, on religion right. and spirituality. And it was a complete uh, immersion in channeling in yeah. uh, spirit contact on this side, evoking the dead and, and actually creating um, new religious orders that you could actually res- uh be ordained into in creating a new religion they call a creating a new humanity for a new world order 
I don't know how much more explicit that could be, but that is being underwritten by the United Nations. Yes, yes. And you mentioned there's a number of these non-governmental organizations regarding the environment or hunger or other kind of things. I just wanted to make sure that our people knew about that, our listeners. They they actually are, are key factors in, in uh, uh, pushing forward the gov- global elite agendas and control, correct? Oh, absolutely. When you called, I was actually working on a book I'm writing called, um, what was it, um, The Religion Behind Global Warming. And, you know, wow. that's the, the same kind of um, phenomena that you have just referred to, much of it in the United Nations. So... Keep your eyes open for that book when it comes out. Well, I, we we know one gentleman here who's done some research in this area, uh, in the modern environmental movement, and he has found that the most of our uh, public foundations, or private foundations, excuse me, like the Ford Foundation and others, were actually had, had already said many many years ago that they were going to fund the advancement of these groups to help oh, promote yeah, the their, Rockefeller Fund is uh, deep into that. Well, it was to promote their true agenda, which was eugenics which was a s- selective breeding and control and reduction in population, mm-hmm. and that they desired to have a reduction in population to contr- for, for the elite's pleasure, and they latched onto the environmental movement as a way to grasp the earth and to love the earth and to see us now that we're, we're called a blight on the earth. Human beings oh, are called something that they should get rid of, yeah. uh, the sooner the better. No, you know, as you talk, you know, you're, you're once more showing that this is a massive network and you can hardly do justice to it. It's it almost, so it's a, yeah, it's almost too big to just look at. Re- really, yeah. Is. And you, you really need to focus on one of these areas and make sense of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not bad to give that overview as well. Well, I think it's but much. Guys, like... I I really enjoyed talking with you. Yeah. I have another appointment. Well, I, I okay. understand it's that okay. you need to go. We're sorry about our technical background, but I have to say in closing that what you just described there reminds me of a very famous British show uh, of a gentleman who we just lost to the show The Prisoner. I don't know if you remember The Prisoner. Uh, I I it was a very famous show of the 60s, but it explained an yeah, environment. Yeah, yeah, Patrick Gouin. McGowan, who just passed yeah. away a few days ago. That's but right. he was the one who, who actually fingered this, and he actually showed that every time we think we know who's pulling the strings on these things, okay. there's someone right. above him who's pulling the strings okay. until right. he had his surprise at the end that found out that the, that sometimes the real enemy is ourselves. We allow ourselves to, to let this environment create, and we do, through the power of Christ, have control, more control than we might lead to when we turn ourselves over to the Lord to make a difference. And I'm sure that's your uh, your uh, lasting message I'm sure you want to oh, leave with absolutely. us, is to yes. take the responsibility, take take the, uh, the the power that the Lord gives us to make a difference in our own sphere that we have. Amen. Would you come back and see us again, please, soon? Sure, sure. And, yeah. uh, what, what you should do is get a... Um, some of my other books, and maybe we can talk about another one. We'll yeah. we'll go right through the library, through the yeah. pantheon of books this time. <laughs> there aren't okay? that many. <laughs> and, 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 but but we'd like you know when you when you're hot on the trail of some of these issues, if yeah. you would keep us in your list, your, yeah. our, your usual lineup of suspects. If you have something important to report, you know we'd Please. love well, to be listen, the first. To I hear will it. put you on my um, email list. I I write. You can use this maybe. I write a uh, eight hundred word observation on the culture about once a month okay yeah and you should get that because i take on quite a lot of things so and we'll be linking to that too yeah um give me your email and i'll be sure you get on it okay we're we're still on on here but i'll i'll tell you like i'll tell everybody else it's dr future d-r-f-u-t-u-r-e 
at futurequake.com. And uh, hopefully you won't confuse that with too many other contacts you have in academia. <laughs> All the other Dr. Futures, yeah. But, but I want to thank you, Dr. Jones. Thank you so yeah. much for your time spent with us. Yeah. I appreciate your patience. Yeah, you've been great. And, oh, yeah. and uh, I do think maybe somebody was trying to stop us from talking here because what you have to say is important. We only scratched the surface, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, please review his information. Uh, he is one of our high-level intelligence officers in the Army of God. I appreciate you working there. Uh, I, I forget what the name of the group was in the U.K. that did the intelligence work World War II. MI5? It's a, no, there's a famous uh, farm or Bletchley Place or something like that. You should know, Dr. Jones. <laughs> but you, you're our, our connection within the kingdom yeah. of God. Please keep finding this information, and we'll be more than happy to spread it on to our network here. Thank you, my brothers, for your Thank you. spiritual encouragement, and uh, keep holding up the name of Jesus. Well, bless you, sir. Keep up the good work, okay? And we look forward to hearing you soon. Thanks again. God bless. with Dr. Future and Tom Bionic. Yeah, that was the conclusion of our abbreviated interview with Dr. Peter Jones, mm-hmm. Executive Director of Truth Exchange. Yeah. Wish we could have had him on more. Mm. I know. I well, There's hardly time for me to like rattle on incessantly, you know, and give him more than like two minutes in between my uh, outburst. Oh, you know, sorry. Just because talking? he's an eminent scholar <laughs> in the field. I don't know why he would talk. Yeah, in between my points. Well, no, I, you know, I'll, I'm gonna I'll, credit should go where credit is due. I think you do a very good job, and that's why I'm that's why I'm oftentimes silent. I think you do a very good job of both summarizing our guest points and providing, even before they say them, right? Well, I don't know about that, <laughs> uh, but but are also very succinct in the way that you ask your questions and uh, very fair to the guests. So thanks. Like well, and, and that's why you know why I wreck a good thing, <laughs> you know. That's certainly better than those emails I get with those big skull and crossbones yeah. dancing around the screen. I think of myself more as like the rear guard, you know. Okay, so is that right? Yeah. How about like uh, armor bearer? No. Wingman. Maybe wingman. Okay. That might be good. All right. Yeah. Well, you know, um, this book I highly recommend getting capturing the pagan mind, and I thank you, uh, Pastor Chris, for uh, suggesting it. Um, the uh, 
the thing, one, several things that it really brings out, I really understand how this goddess religion worked, and it was brought in through mm-hmm. the mystery religions and through Isis, how it actually overtook their older religion where yeah. they had, like, Zeus and all these other gods that did multiple mm-hmm. things. Yeah. It, it actually um, did several things like, li- quote, liberate people, where it wasn't even just the rich people that got the favor of the gods. Everybody could go get an initiation. Mm-hmm. It transformed who they were. It mm-hmm. wasn't a fact of the money. They could do, it was all very, very appealing. Mm-hmm. It was very democratic in how it was. Mm-hmm. But it, it actually came in, you know, in a very advanced state of the Roman Empire and just took over. Mm-hmm. Pushed out all the other gods, and then right when it was reigning supreme, here comes Christianity, messing mm-hmm. up everything. After the mystery religions had united the empire, I think J.K. Chesterton, Chesterton, who's one of my favorite writers, mm-hmm. everybody should go check him out if you get a chance. Um, puts it succinctly: paganism was the biggest thing in the world. Dot dot dot. Until Christianity, and Christianity mm-hmm. moved and sort of supplanted all this stuff in uh, very dramatic ways. You know. Right, right. In a in a time where there was no no trains, planes, or automobiles, everything was on foot or by chariot or by horse mm-hmm. or by ship. Uh, within a matter, of, you know, from from thirty three A.D. Uh, the day of Pentecost, the beginning of the church there, to like forty years later, you know, this stuff spreads like wildfire. Which, interestingly, as I think, uh, an interesting sort of proof in Christ. Uh, these people go and they. Um, you know, most people in that time, they were all looking for the Messiah in, in Judea. They would go and uh, these people would go, I'm the Christ, and then the Romans would kill him. And then all of their uh, all of their followers would dissipate. Mm-hmm. The exact opposite happened, and this stuff spread like, mm-hmm. uh, if, if you all will excuse the expression, spread like a weed, you know, mm-hmm. like crabgrass. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, and, and I don't think most people understand the reason why they were killing Christians was that when you were rebelling against the religion, you were rebelling against the state because mm-hmm. they had it merged was, them. It was a political pejorative to call yourself a Christian because what you were implying was that you were not a follower. Uh, to get back to our point earlier. Yeah, you were a rebel. Yeah, you were not a follower or recognize recognizing the Caesar as either high priest or, uh, well, high priest most most mm-hmm. importantly. Yeah. Or basically authoritative over you yeah. in every part of your life. Yeah. Which we're getting back to that. We're going mm-hmm. to get back to that merging. But the thing was, was that they believed that they were very tolerant mm-hmm. back then because they could take other various pagan beliefs and merge it into the overall global belief. Like, you're okay, I'm okay. You sort of believe little fine details. But the general concept of initiation and transformation we all agree on. Mm-hmm. But then Christianity is so different. And a mm-hmm. lot of people. So some of the most dangerous and untrue things that people say are that Christianity is just like other religions. Well, and it's and, not the case. It's very, very different. Otherwise, it would have fit in well. Well, uh, uh, typically, you'll find religions have sort of three things in common. Um, you know, you'll have some sort of a, a strange transforming experience, some sort of uh, set of holy scriptures, and some sort of cultural ethic, aesthetic. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christianity... Um, and this, and I'm I'm defining Christianity in very broad terms here. Uh, has this fourth thing that you believe that uh, this historical this historical event happened where Jesus died and he came back to life mm-hmm. to prove to in, prove in his a God. body physical body yeah, in his physical body it was a physical place he where was that killed they put him in the tomb three days later he said I'm back right <clears throat> not a metaphor not a, just a concept not an ideal and, and there's not there's other other um, religions don't have that. 
You know, they don't have no. a historical event like that that so formally fixates a place and time. Yeah, both a place and time and a spiritual rock that you can stand on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, that's right. And, and nor do they have a god who would come down and sacrifice themselves because of their own personal shortcomings. Mm-hmm. Yes, you know, true. Uh, so. Another area of his book that we didn't get to cover, I just want to briefly mention, uh, that that actually is actually the whole second half of his book. Mm-hmm. It talks about the ministry of the Apostle Paul and how Paul was called to be a, um apostle to the Gentiles or the pagans mm-hmm. and how the techniques that he used. And he went back to the creation. If you read in Genesis or Romans 1, if you read in other uh, epistles he wrote, he actually goes back to this premise of there being an external God who created a world that all people are accountable to. And that Mm. is something that the the New Age pagans will not accept. That there's not just like a, a, you know, a spirit in in the earth or the ground or something that pervades in all matter. That there's actually a personality that's independent from us Mm-hmm. That created us, and we have accountability to. Well, sure, that's the thing. It 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 gives us an accountability. Uh, with with most pagan religions, you can kind of incorporate and believe what you want. Christianity says uh, it it's far more truthful in the Aristotelian sense because what you do is you say uh, you follow the eth- the aesthetic that either all of these religions saying different things, either one is true or none is true. Right, mm-hmm. Christianity obeys that very mm-hmm. basic, uh, very basic positive logic. Whereas, and, and those were the paths you went through yourself personally, wasn't absolutely, it? when yeah. you were deciding what was I, truth. You know, it's funny yeah. you mentioned that. I'd love to, I'd love to go and give a give a sermon someday on that because it's something that I studied very closely. Mm-hmm. You know, Aristotelian logic says all of these different religions say different things, so they cannot all be true. And but you have to believe in absolute truth. Yeah. And that's what I tell people that, you know, that that is sort of a leap. Some people mm-hmm. don't believe in absolute truth or many don't. No. But I do believe in absolute truth. I believe we live our lives based on the presumption of absolute mm-hmm. truth, even if we don't confess it. Uh, of course, I also believe that the Bible is a reliable written record. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's not a totally empty faith. I have good reason to believe it more so than any other written record. Anybody sure. Has. Sure. I think it's very telling and interesting that of the few Roman scholars that are not Christians who have studied uh, who study and refer to the Bible, they take it as historical and not as allegorical. Whereas, right. you know, many, many theologians, obviously, the, you know... The, many the, who call themselves Christians. Yeah, take it as allegory, largely mm-hmm. allegory or untrue or... When the historians whatever. know better. Yeah, when the historians say, no, I don't think so. Mm-hmm. Acts is very historical. And they use that as a reliable tool to determine what life was like and all yeah. these other things like back then. Well, and a good example of that would be uh, Sir William Ramsey, who was a uh, 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 he was a uh, Oriental archaeologist and historian. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Royal Scottish knighted all these things. He finally decided that he was going to prove the Bible completely untrue, and he went out and uh, used Luke and Acts, being uh, the common the common theories mm-hmm. that they were written by the same person, uh, to go out and use the historicity. Uh, presented in those things to disprove the Bible. And after 20 years of archaeological work uh, in Anatolia, Syria, mm-hmm. uh, eastern Turkey and western Turkey, as well as Judea, he said the Bible is totally true. And he became a Christian mm-hmm. after that. As a scholar himself. As a scholar, yes. You know, I should just have you on as a guest. You're a lot better than these other people we have <laughs> on. Well, 
Um, and I can usually find you. you know? Yeah, laying on my bed going, gosh, am I ever going to get a job? <laughs> well, you'd be an excellent guest, though. Yeah, maybe. I learned a lot just then. Well, there you go. Uh, in, in conclusion, let me just say, too, that uh, he, he gets some other examples Paul gave about the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a unique event in Christianity. It explains a lot of things about where we are, where we are, mm-hmm. and, and also about the restoration through mm-hmm. the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But you have to read the book because we need to go and we need to bring Merv in. Merv, come tell our listeners how they can learn more about Future Quake and how to contact us. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay. Is that that time of day? Let's hit it, man. Ladies and gentlemen, hope you really enjoyed the show. Tomorrow's Tomorrow's Trimmers. Till then, we hope your future is very bright. Have a good day. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And this is a little different day today. You're right. Uh, Peter Jones, our guest this week, uh, uh, was really under severe time commitments, which yeah, we was, made more difficult. Yeah, he was really, really good, folks, but we did have a little bit of technical difficulties uh, recording him. So we had to cut the interview just a little bit short. So today we're going to have uh, Robert Hyde on for a little while, just sort of sharing his thoughts on the recent inauguration of uh, President Barack Obama. Yeah, we can't go too long without having Robert on. Yeah. And uh, since we don't have much time, we're going to kick right over to him, and then we'll just mm-hmm. do a quick wrap-up. So with no further ado, here is our good friend of the show, Robert Hyde. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I am the always effervescent Tom Bionic. There you are, being like effrident again. Uh, <laughs> I'm the always effrodential. Yes. Well, <laughs> we have uh, someone who I recently oh, referred to as Old Faithful, but I realize it should be called Young Faithful mm-hmm. uh, because um, well, someone who's a favorite of our show, who's happened to drop in, perhaps this is like, the way he should always. Perhaps like Old Faithful as if more like a fount of knowledge. That's how I would say that. Yeah, or sell like the traveling salesman who rings your doorbell at home. No, okay, exactly you know? the opposite. Except nothing to sell, except yeah. truth. Except, well, okay, well, there, that's a good analogy. I guess we should acknowledge our guest. Uh, <laughs> Robert yeah. Hyde, welcome to the Future Quake Show. Hey, it's good to be with you. I think, uh, you know, if I'm going to be uh, advertised as Old Faithful, uh, <laughs> you're going to have to give me a chance to erupt. <laughs> oh, no. Well, you know, I think, it, what is this, your 450th visit to the Future Quake show? That's yeah. close. I yeah, think you've almost been on more than Dr. Future has. Yeah, you're, you're, you're sort of like our, uh, uh, was it, a, a Apollo's, a Delphi Oracle, that's what I'm trying to think of. Uh, so breeze, nothing I say ever makes quite sense. No, no, no. no. We just want you no. to breathe some fumes, some noxic fumes, and tell us what you're seeing about the future. And uh, all I know is is that you had some very interesting observations to make about uh, the day of this recording, of this uh, this uh, production, and that is Inauguration Day. Right. Uh, this, is the, this is being taped on the 20th of January. Well, we, we were just talking with an expert about um, ancient Rome 
and about how they pacified the public with bread and circuses. And I made the point that this is one of America's circuses today, was it not? Uh, I would say it was, yes. Hmm. Uh, but it was a positive circuit. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say that there were some hopeful signs. Um, oh, you're not supposed wow. to say that this is a Christian show. You're supposed to say how this is terrible and that, uh, you know, the, the, the whole country is just going down the tubes and today was the beginning of the end. It reminded my, it reminded me of some of the totalitarian, totalitarian regime stuff that I've seen on their inauguration days. That's what it, like like what North Korea or something? Well, yeah, there was except there's really no inauguration some, for life. Yeah, some German regimes. I remember watching a black and white strip. He there. was thinking of like Nuremberg. It looked like some of the Nur- Nuremberg pageants yeah. today. Well, like, yeah, that's exactly what I mean. Actually, go so, ahead. So what's your take, um, Herr Robert? Well, my take is um, is is not different than what I said at the uh, at the show that we did uh, at the turn of the year, where, uh, as I recall, what I predicted was that the next uh, for the next three or six months in this country, it's going to be very um, intense, and uh, and I'm going to stick with that. I'm, I'm going to say um, it is intense, and uh, it's going to get more intense. Hmm. Uh, we're we're in a race. Uh, we're in a race against time, and I don't think anybody knows how to win this race because we're watching the economy collapse all around us, uh, and there's nothing anybody can do. And when they think there's something that they can do, it turns out to be all the wrong things. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was noticing they said <laughs> yeah. today that uh, the stock market took another hit. Yep. Worst um, hit since December 1st. Yeah. Yeah, just five and a half percent on the S and P is all. Mm-hmm. I hope you didn't get hit too bad in your portfolio, yeah. Robert. Oh yeah, my my major portfolio. Yeah, that's yeah. a great thing about uh, being lower middle class mm-hmm. is that is that you don't get hit too hard. Yeah, your portfolio mm-hmm. doesn't exist. Hey, if you want me to break <laughs> your heart, Robert, I just just reading the other day about the the twenty richest men in the world, the twenty richest billionaires, yeah. and almost all of them have lost between seventy and ninety percent of their wealth. Yeah, I love month. it. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Me too. That sounds like wonderful compassion. I feel like I should have a, you know, a drink to all of that or something. So where were you, Robert? Um, well, I'm saying um, we're we're looking at a we're looking at a devastatingly bad problem. Um, <clears throat> so so there's no way to there's no way to smooth that over. Um, people people had better be thinking ahead. People had better be making their plans. People had better realize that um, uh, government is not going to bail them out. Uh, government cannot bail them out. Uh, I think I think that there's a fair amount of people that are beginning to see that, uh, <clears throat> and I would encourage them to continue to pursue that line of thinking. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I do think there are some. I, I saw some hopeful signs today. Hmm. Um, when uh, when President Obama gave his speech, um, there were some real threads of honesty in what he had to say. Uh, I felt like he he departed enough from the standard American political script in order to be honest about the problems that the nation faces um, that gave me a little bit of hope. Um, I, not that I think that he has the answers, but uh, I think he's trying to prepare the American people for the fact that we have very, very serious problems, and we are going to have to address them, hopefully in some fashion, in a way in which we're not at each other's throats. And I think he did a pretty good job. I'm going to give him I'm going to give him real credit for that of trying to help bring uh, the nation together look, in look, a way look. where people can can be facing the situation more shoulder to shoulder 
than they are uh, with excessive fear and paranoia. Let me ask you something. That makes about, one of us. Yeah. Let me ask you something. Um, you know, most evangelical Christians were certain that his first day in office, he was going to set up an Islamic caliphate. <laughs> isn't that pathetic? Uh, run out of, that's sad, isn't it? No, I mean, that was, and I don't mean to belittle them. I mean, good good spiritual, God-loving Christians, you know. And, uh, you know, we don't know the future, so I'm not meaning to, to, to belittle them at all. Uh, they were righteously yeah. concerned. Uh, but, I mean, they really were concerned of it. And who knows what the future holds and who knows what people do behind the scenes. So, you know, uh, anytime I, I make a point, I usually, I like, like the old adage, you know, let my words be sweet because I may have to eat them. And, yep. and I recognize that, but um, uh, but but the what I'm wondering is in, in line with that, as far as some surprises we may have, given the fact that he's obtained the office, and I don't know who all he owes what to have gotten there, what old debts he has, but he's gotten to where he's the guy in charge and seat. Do you think he may embrace um, some of this honesty and not be beholden to other interests that got him there? Is there any hope, or is that naive? to think that, that maybe he will step up and sort of see a special role that he's in and, and um, you know, become become more of a timeless kind of leader, even though he's – I mean, obviously he has positions that I'm grossly against. But right. uh, do, do, do you think the possibility exists that he'll be unshackled by these other uh, other commitments and, and do what, what he finds in his heart is truly right? You know, I was <clears throat> I was thinking about that before you called, uh, and I was thinking about the behavior of past presidents. And um, and I think past presidents give us a clue to current and future presidents, and that is all presidents in some respects seek to be their own man, and all presidents to a greater or lesser degree feel shackled by um, either the, the circumstances in which they are or the people that they're stuck working with. Um, <clears throat> And some presidents are, are more successful at dealing with that than others. Um, and, I, and I think he has a, a chance of being uh, unshackled in some important ways. And, uh, and one of the things that I would, I would like to challenge our evangelical listeners to is uh, <clears throat> um, one way in which um, – Barack Obama is not shackled in a way that many evangelical Christians would be is because he has he has a black heritage and he knows from his own personal experience that a lot of uh, what the government says and does is a lie. Uh, he probably has a clearer understanding of the limitations of government and the deceptions of government than most evangelical Christians. I was looking at, at all the uh, civil rights leaders um, who were there at the inauguration, as they certainly had every right to be, and thinking how they had to fight the system back in the <clears throat> 50s and 60s, and they knew the government was not their friend. Uh, and they knew that a lot of the things that were supposedly friendly um, – had a hook in them, and uh, I think um, I think uh, the evangelical Christian Church is probably more naive about the role of government. Sure, we, we say we're for limited government and so forth, but deep down, you know, we have this American civics class view of the American government, where we really believe 
deep down that it's a good thing, mm-hmm. and uh, it's always onward and upward. Well, the uh, only thing it needs is us running it. Yeah, and it only <laughs> needs us running to perfect it. Right. Uh, <clears throat> and I think um, I think Obama looks at it quite differently, and I think he looks at it considerably more honestly uh, than we give him credit for. Uh, also, you know, I would like to. I would like to really dispose of this Christian notion uh, that this man is a closet Muslim. Uh, I'm really tired of hearing that. Um, hmm. Not okay. Um, he just isn't. Uh, the The only reason they think that is because they've been drinking Kool Aid, uh, and this Kool Aid has been served to them by a political party with a political agenda. And it doesn't have any reference to the truth. And I'm going to, you know, I'm speaking as a Christian now, uh, and I'm going to retreat into the scriptures. And I'm going to say, uh, when I when I heard what I heard today, I heard the prayers. Um, I heard what was said. Um, and, and I'm going to say at least this. You know, whether whether in pretense or truth, Christ is preached, and I rejoice, and I will rejoice. Um, and the, there were there were prayers that were prayed, and there was an invocation of the Spirit of Christ that I take as genuine. And I think that the people uh, who were listening took it as genuine. And and I'm not accusing Obama of having bad motives, but I'm saying even if he did have bad motives. Uh, he will not. He will not be able to retreat easily from the good things that he said. Um, I don't think he will retreat from mm-hmm. that. Um, but now, uh, did he not imply? That. And I'm going on recollection that that citizens have relied on government for a long time to solve things, and that we are entering an era of responsibility. Yes. Do you and think he glad, means that? I was glad to hear him say that. And we were primed to sort of to hear him say that he was calling on people to make sacrifices, but he did not say that, and I was glad he didn't, because when you start asking people to make sacrifices, we all know where that goes. Um, it means that certain people are going to have to make sacrifices. But what he did was he he used the much better word responsibility, and that, and that allows people to take a look for themselves. And address for themselves what their responsibilities are, and then if they if they recognize that they're going to have to make sacrifices, well, then they can add that to the equation. Hmm. So, where do you hmm. think we are from here? Where do you think things go? Um, <clears throat> I'm concerned. Um, I do not. Um, I do not have a lot of confidence in the American establishment. I, your listeners know that I have very little confidence in the Republican establishment. I also have little confidence in the Democratic establishment. When I when I uh, see this man surrounding himself with the kind of advisors that he's got, um, I think of Jimmy Carter. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I also know that Jimmy Carter was and is a good man. Uh, he was stuck with what he was stuck with, uh, and he did what he could. Um, if we have if we have an Obama presidency, this is going to sound strange, 
But if we have an Obama presidency that is as successful as the Carter presidency, which many would consider a failure, mm-hmm. um, we'll be okay. Because one thing that we could rely upon Carter to do was that Carter had genuine Christian convictions that led him to try to be a humane person, and he was he tried to emphasize things that he believed were spiritually important for people and for the world. And he made his case for human rights. And uh, and he, he really did lay the groundwork um, for, for bringing the Soviet Union to task, um, even though, you know, we have to say Reagan was more successful in dealing with the Soviet Union. Uh, I think Carter's, Carter's love of human rights was a necessary basis for that, and I think he should be given credit. Well, let's get back to Obama. Um, Obama hit the important spiritual themes, and and his uh, his pastors, Rick Warren and uh, and the uh, the other man who offered the benediction, mm-hmm. they hit they hit the right requests in their prayers, and their focus was on love and justice, and. I think that that was intentional. I think it was sincerely meant. I think um, I think that, that particularly the uh, brother who offered the benediction is a man who has been a man of God for a long time. I think his bona fides are are good. Um, he's a spiritual man, and I think that bodes well. Well, let me ask you this um, yes. regarding Obama's you know, spiritual uh, thing, and and like you said. W- Motives are not. Sometimes you can create something that's good as well as bad, even if your motives aren't that good in either way. But uh, he said for many, many years, one of his biggest criticism he receives, particularly from Christians, is his affiliation with Reverend Wright and some of the Uh things that are said. And I don't know if I've ever even asked you your opinion about that. What do you think about that whole association? I did not hear enough uh, of, of Reverend Wright. To say, you know, definitively one way or the other. But, but the one or two things that I heard from Reverend Wright that he was criticized for, where he was scolding the United States in in the most severe terms, I thought were highly justified. I would say, uh, I would say Reverend Wright is more of a prophetic and an honest man than uh, than the. Uh, smooth-talking uh, evangelicals. Are you just trying to see uh, how much they'll take on the radio station before they yank us off yeah. <laughs> well, on the Christian radio? Is that what you're trying to do? That's up to you whether you air this segment or not. Any, I, any I kind be, words about Paul Pot while you're at it? Yeah, i gotta, I got to be honest. I, I'm having, a, I'm having some, some disagreements with you here. That's all right. Uh, I think you're just being yeah. classic classic Robert Hyde. I will have to agree with you, and I'll, I'll let uh, Tom say something if Go he wants. It, but, but but let me just say that what you said about Reverend Wright, um, he had very uh, inflammatory words. And, you know, I never can forget the U.S. of KKKA and several things that he mentioned. Um, 
and, and it seems like he lives a very flamboyant lifestyle, which I thought was very inconsistent with his uh, man of the people kind of uh, attitude he he brought to the yeah, podium. That could be. Well, but it's know, it, but you know you got to judge all equals. I mean, you know, yeah. you could you look at other pastors who live very very well, and because they say pleasing words, you don't hold them to the same account. But uh, some of the things he mentioned about the the sins of our country yeah. are the very ones we've talked about on our show. So yeah. I have a hard I have a hard time criticizing them when we've read documents that have mentioned the same things that he mentioned that were done. Yeah. So I mean I I I, I know, do know where you're coming from. Maybe it's because you've rubbed off on me or something, yeah. or well, corrupted me. But I you know I can see the point you made. However, Tom may have some other points. Yeah, to make. boy, so so many so many. I want to. I wish I was taking notes actually. But uh, one of the ones that one of the ones that you mentioned a minute ago, and I believe. We may be talking about a different benediction. I got up, I watched part of the inauguration, then got up from the TV and then came back. But there was a guy that spoke at the end who said something along the lines of, uh, he prays for a day where the black won't sit in the back. That's the one. And, yeah. Yeah. One. And I found that, I actually found that incredibly offensive. <laughs> I loved it. <laughs> well, uh, to, each his, to each his own, I guess. Yes. Yes. I mean, let's, let's understand it. This was a public prayer. This was this was not his private devotions, and so he he and God knew that uh, 1.4 million people would be listening in, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, and and that's all right. I, I was okay with that. You know what I hoped? You know, with with those with those confessions made, was that maybe and maybe this is the most naive comment of the night, is that maybe this would be part of the process to put some of this to bed. Uh, you know, uh, I I remember what Ford said about the long national nightmare is over. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and regarding the situation with racism and things like that, uh, I don't want to be so naive as to say that it'll go overnight, but I have no reason biblically to believe why we can't overcome it. There's nothing in the Bible that says we can't move on from that, and that maybe that one positive thing is that people can say their piece and put it out there for the records, and then we can move on. That's right. Yeah. Uh, we can, that's right. And move on. Uh, but... But I was delighted, and I and I had to smile <laughs> when I when I heard. I think that. you guys are crazy. Well, I'll just go on the air and say that. Thanks, Tom. Well, I know you'll get all the the positive email. I'm sure. Uh, Tom, you got one real quick. Then we got about two minutes, and then two I minutes. want Robert to wrap up. Any other thing you want no, to no, challenge no, go ahead. on? No, no, I, I, that's fine. I mean, I, seriously. No, I'll I'll, uh, I'll uh, let Robert wrap. Okay. Seriously. Okay. I mean, I I may disagree with you, but I respect your opinion. So. Yeah. Um, we, you, you got around 30 to 60 seconds. Any kind of a summary for the future here, Robert? Um, well, I don't know what I can say in, uh, in 30 or 60 seconds. Um, I would, but, but I, um, I, your listeners know that <clears throat> I have not been a Bush supporter and I have not been an Obama supporter. Um, and that doesn't make me better or wiser, um. Uh, but but I, but at least I hope that that what I'm saying here is that uh, <clears throat> my what I see positive and what Obama is doing does not come from a partisan uh, favoritism toward him. him. I, I genuinely see some good and hopeful things in Obama, and uh, we'll see. Okay, um, and you'll be back with us a little bit later this year to uh, talk about things as they develop. Uh, probably so. Uh, <laughs> any uh, any uh, thoughts on what you're saying about just the the recent uh, economic uh, developments we've seen in the last few weeks? Well, I um I try to stay in touch with what Mish is saying, and uh, I think so far he's right on. And yep. so I see 
uh, <clears throat> I see the economy, the financial economy collapsing, uh, which is not necessarily bad. I know, I know that in some ways it's horrible, mm -hmm. um, but uh, deflation is how you cure inflation. Mm -hmm. And um, and the 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 sooner we get into it, the sooner we get through it. Mm -hmm. um, what about uh, in our in our last words here uh, under Obama administration? Now, do you think things will be quiet in the Middle East for a little while? I'm hopeful that they will. I think I, I think I saw him send a strong warning signal uh, to people who are trying to stir up trouble on mm. any on either side of the fence. Uh, that that that's not something that he wants to be a part of. And I was I was greatly encouraged. I don't know that he'll be able to avoid things. Uh, as I say, he he may be too boxed in by his advisors, mm. but mm -hmm. I but I'm hopeful that his own instincts are toward peace. It's, uh, and not toward uh, enlarging a war. That's interesting you say that because I kind of took away an opposite, an okay. opposite view. Uh, and you know, I, I certainly see where you're coming from a little bit with the words, but the whole time staring over was his shoulder was Rahm Emanuel, who yeah, I believe I, is a dual I, citizen. I you saw know? that, and that was yes. that was hard for me to like. You know, it's like it's like when somebody says yes and they're shaking your head at you no. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, yeah. So they sent us a subliminal message. You mean? You're right. Well, yes. in closing, I guess I'd like to say that Obama then was classic Obama today. People saw in him what they wanted to see in him. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe that's what we'll see for the next four years. Yeah. Who knows? But, Robert, I want to thank you for joining us on short notice. Um, you always have something interesting and provocative to say. We just thank you so much for being a friend of the show. Tom yeah. will probably even invite me back. <laughs> I wouldn't go that. I wouldn't I'm going to scratch far. my head. No, no, seriously, I enjoyed it, even he, if I totally disagree with you. He has to take a vacation sometime, Robert. We'll have you in. God bless you, Robert. Yeah. You and yours, okay? Okay. Thanks again. Yeah. Bye bye. All right, we're back to Future Quake with Doctor Future and Tom. I disagree with Robert Hyde Bionic. That's pretty harsh. No, no I don't think you've ever used that term for anybody else on our show. Well, you know, to be honest, I don't think I've disagreed Robert. with anybody quite as strongly as Robert on this issue. He exceeds over all the people we've had on our show. Well, maybe not Dr. John Rosner. Are you like burning effigies of Robert Hyde? No, in no, here? no, no. I, I don't. It's not like that. But I just uh, the point you make. Perhaps it's the point you made earlier in the interview. Like perhaps we just sort of see things differently. Maybe that's the way. But I. On nearly every issue, I see it differently. A couple, for instances, in fifteen seconds, uh, the uh, uh, benediction, uh, Rick Warren's endorsement of the openly gay Anglican preacher, uh, Obama's okay. Obama's speech, uh, I felt was uh, an open call to um, to be able. To, you know, everybody's got to step forward and take a bit of this medicine. Yeah, you know, including me, who I don't have a mortgage, I don't have any of that stuff. Why yeah. should I take? You know. I didn't cause this mess. I right. was financially responsible. Right. Okay. Well said. All right. I tipped my hat to you. Thank you. You did very well, and uh, I think your points are very, very well taken, too. Yeah. And feel free to dive in more when you disagree on that kind of stuff. I know you did some, but... Well, I, I respect Robert, and yeah. you know, I didn't want to... Well, we're going to see in the next four years how things pan out. It's a bad one. Uh -huh. And speaking of people you disagree with, Merv, could you come in and tell our listeners how you could uh, contact us here in Future Quake? Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. 
Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're running light. Nothing. Got to go. Until then, we hope your future is very bright, and we'll see you tomorrow, Toronto Streamers. Bye. Goodbye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. quake, quake. Welcome to the Future Quake Show. I am Dr. Future. And I'm Tom Bionic. And this is Friday, which Indeed. means it is... Uh, tomorrow's Tremor, today's Future Review of the News. You know, that was so close. You got really close. That was like a strong Amanus. Tomorrow's Tremors are today's review of the Future's News. I know. I like. I intentionally sort of get it wrong because I like the, uh, the dagger look in your eye. Well, I could intentionally take a roundhouse from over here. <laughs> You don't hear I'd like, like to see that, actually. You don't hear a lot of that on Christian radio. No. You don't hear, like, you know, back to the Bible or radio Bible class or just yeah. melee each other. You yeah, know, there you go. <laughs> come across the table. That would yeah, be Yeah, Woodrow exciting. Cole and R.C. Sproul, <laughs> Grudge yeah. Match 2000. Yeah, Mark DeHaan, <laughs> Cage Match. Oh, uh, only on Future Quake do you hear that, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah. All you people who enjoy fine Christian uh, talk radio, I hope you enjoy uh, our information we provide. Uh, we hope also you enjoyed oh, the very interesting interview with, uh, if we may say, with uh, Dr. Peter Jones was yeah. on this week. I'd like to have him back again real soon. Yeah, if he good. had come, if he'd yeah. come mess with us. Yeah. If he'd, After if he'd, that all, that whole weirdness there. Yeah. Oh, uh, that's something if people could pray for. Um, we've had some weirdness on our uh, recording. Pray in for fact, our technology. Yeah, we almost had a situation where we couldn't record it, and then since then we've had another event that was even worse. It required a postponement. So um, we assume it's just dark forces that are coming in and trying to stop us. It couldn't be our incompetence, I'm sure. No. It must be the dark forces trying to stop us. So yep. if you all say a little prayer that... Uh, Particularly old Dr. Future here doesn't get too uh, worked up and uptight yeah, over... Doesn't flip out. Yeah, yeah, so we'd appreciate that. Uh, would you like to go first with the story? Or? I, I'll, yeah. I'll go first. Okay, go lay it on us. Um, here's one from the Daily Mail UK. Uh, it's it's uh, entitled, Hate Preacher Omar Bakhti Instructs Followers to Convert Aliens to Islam. Oh, that's good. Yeah, unfortunately, it's it's, it's a small one. but That's I'll, another one you don't hear on Christian radio a lot. No, not, not like too that. much. Even Islamic, probably Al Jazeera. Uh, Even the Islamists want the want the aliens in the fold. Okay. Yep. Exiled hate preacher Omar Bakri has ordered his followers to convert aliens to Islam. The extraordinary instruction was issued during a bizarre rant posted on an extremist website. The Syrian-born imam, who's notorious for praising the 9/11 bombers, told Muslims not only spread to spread the re- religion across the world but also the galaxy. And he said, we are obliged as Muslims to make the whole galaxy subservient to mighty Allah. Allah has created all living beings to obey and worship him. A security source is reported to have said, perhaps we should so he could show his people the way. It would give everyone a break if he was beamed up. The rant, which appeared on an extremist website, comes after Bakri, a claim that he had recently been stopped from using the Internet to preach to followers in the U.K., 
Now, that is a great story. That's a good one. That's that is really <clears throat> a good story. And I was just picturing, you know, when they're talking about spreading it across the cosmos, mm-hmm. I was just picturing this TV show, Space Jihad. <laughs> well, you know. Now they'd be in space, you know, like spacesuits with, like, electronic turbines. And <laughs> well, you know, I think Instead I, of lightsabers, it would be light scimitars. Well, I think I sent you an email uh, this afternoon about, uh, uh, I read, it must have been Wikipedia, it said that, uh, when the Daleks appear, uh, hide under the hide under the furniture or hide under the yeah, chair. What was that all about? Well, I guess that it's part of it's. it's How do become, you spell that? What is that? D A L E K. Daleks are uh, a mutant alien race. Oh yeah, and um, from uh, Doctor Who, which is a TV show over there. In, in oh Great okay, Britain. okay. And uh, nine tenths of the people, or maybe it was four fifths. I think it was four fifths. Uh, four-fifths of the people uh, claim that as part of sort of uh, – see that as part of Britain's national cultural identity now, that little phrase. And uh, 90% of the children interviewed could uh, pick out a Dalek. Really? Yeah. Uh, boy, that's weird. Huh. So it seems like to me if we package Future Quake in terms of a science fiction TV show, we could mm-hmm. make an imprint among people's psyche. Well, we could better. probably very, be very successful if we just did one thing, and that's talk about aliens more. Yeah, because yeah, that's certainly a foreign topic to us. Heaven uh, forbid we'd ever mention yeah, that. Yeah, I know. we gotta we got to bring in more aliens. <laughs> wow. What about – well, I've almost had a little Nephilim kind of connection there yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. Well, How I thought it was interesting that – you know, these people are... They'll know what to come yeah. recognize, what yeah. they're looking yeah. for in that respect. Yeah. Would so you like a little one for me? Yeah, give me give me what you got there. <coughs> okay. This is a little weird one, and I have not proofread it. So. Great. But it's from a guy from the Telegraph in the UK uh, by the name of Ambrose Evans Pritchard, who I find I get his stories a lot. I see his name all the time that I use, so he must be a cool guy. And maybe yeah. somebody, he's a, he's a hot shot there at the... At the newspaper but boy it'd be neat to get him on our show that the story is bad news we're back to 1931 good news is it's not 1933 yet so he's comparing the world of today economically to what it was back in the 30s so great he says uh um talking about like their um you know the negative returns in britain Mm -hmm. uh as far as the stock market and things he says in gross national product he says this may may beat germany at minus seven percent Japan minus 12 and Korea at minus 22 percent uh, over the fourth quarter, um, but that merely underlines the dangers ahead as the collapse of global trade chokes the mini boom in U.S. exports, setting off another stage of the crisis. The U.S. is losing 500,000 jobs a month. Brazil, Brazil lost 650,000 in December. Beijing says 10 million Chinese lost their jobs since the crunch began. Japan's exports fell 35% last month, year on year. The central bank is printing money furiously, buying bonds to prevent a relapse into deflation. So yes, it is like early 1931. Citibank and Bank of America have more or less disintegrated. J.P. Morgan's health is failing fast. General Motors and Chrysler serve out only on life support from the U.S. taxpayer. But it is not yet like 1933, and this is where it's going to get interesting. Mm-hmm. That second leg down was a result of liquidation policies by a Dickinsonian leadership, blind to the dangers of debt deflation. By then, the gold standard had degenerated into an instrument of torture. It forced the Fed to raise rates from 1.5% to 3.5% in October 1931 to stem gold loss with predictable results for shattered banks. 
It is worth glancing at the front page of the New York Times on, Mon- on March 6, 1933, to see what the world looked like three days after Franklin Roosevelt moved into the White House. The newspaper splashed the story that FDR had closed the U.S. banking system, really? invoking the Trading with Enemies Act. It's very curious to see if we see something like that in our future. And ordered the confiscation of private gold. From left to right, the headlines read, Hitler block wins a Reich majority, rules Prussia. Japanese push on, push on in fierce fighting. China closes wall. Nanking admits defeat. Uh, city script to replace currency. A president takes step under sweeping law of wartime. Prisoner for gold hoarders. Prison for gold hoarders. So this is what they were facing at that time. That's at least we forget. President Obama faces a happier world. The economic uh, order is still in, intact, if fraying at the edges. Capital and ships move freely. North America and Europe talk the same political language. China has so far proved a dependable pillar of the international system. But then the world uh, seemed benign enough in early 1931. It is the second phase of depression that does horrible things. Roosevelt, this is the warning, Roosevelt took over a country where economic machinery had completely broken down. The New York Stock Exchange and Chicago Board of Trade had closed. Did you know that? They just actually closed down. Wow. During then, uh, 32 states had shut their banks. Texas had restricted withdrawals to $10 a day. Few states could borrow on the bond markets. Illinois and much of the South had stopped paying teachers. Schools closed for months. An army of 25,000 famished war veterans squatting in view of Congress had been charged by troopers of the 3rd U.S. Cavalry with naked sabers led by Major George Patton. Hmm. Armed farmers threatening revolution had laid siege to a string of prairie cities. A mob had stormed the Nebraska capital. Minnesota's governor was recruiting communists only for the state militia. A communist. Uh, Lawyers attempting to enforce foreclosures were shot. More than 100,000 New Yorkers applied to go to the Soviet Union when Moscow advertised for 6,000 skilled workers. We forget how close America came to open revolt. Eleanor Roosevelt feared the country was beyond saving. Her husband kept the faith. He channeled the anger against Wall Street, diffusing it. The practice of the unscrupulous money changers stand indicted in the court of public opinion. He began his presidency. The Fed was an ideological deadweight. Bowing to pressure from Congress, began to purchase bonds in mid-1932 to boost money supply, but then recoiled before retreating into pitiful self-justification. A third of the rescue funds in Hoover's Reconstruction Finance Corporation had been embezzled. Yeah. Wow. Like we well, hadn't seen that before. It's different than today. Yeah. Fully on, full on a half of TARP has yeah. been misallocated. They know how to do it better now. Yeah. Today, I'm almost done here. Today, there's been no such failures of U.S. institutional imagination, even if, as George Soros argues, the Treasury's policies have been haphazard and capricious. The twin blast of fiscal and monetary stimulus have been massive. In short order, the Fed has slashed rates to zero. It is now conjuring money out of thin air on an industrial scale, buying $600 billion of mortgage bonds to force down the cost of home loans and propping up the commercial paper market to avoid mass corporate default. Ben Bernanke, a depression junkie, is proceeding with a messianic sense of certainty. The wash of money should ensure that the next 18 months will not mimic the cascade of disasters from late 1931 to early 33. No, it's going to make it worse. Well, and yeah, it'll just make it worse later. It says it buys time, but it does not solve the deeper problem, which is that a West addicted to Ponzi credit 
has put off the day of reckoning with ever more extreme monetary policy with each downturn, stealing prosperity from the future. It will be an extremely delicate task to right the ship again. Central banks will have to extricate themselves from their venture into bond markets without setting off a bond uh, debacle in 2010 or 11. Governments will have to map out uh, of a path of Puritan discipline for year after year. This will be Barack Obama's grim test of statesmanship. Toast. Sorry that was a little long, but... We're toast. You know, that's a, that is a British gentleman writing. Pretty much got it the way it is. Yeah, pretty much. That sounded pretty spooky about 1933 while it's yeah. going in it. Well, the difference today is that... The um, uh, difference today, of course, is that uh, we're looking at a depression that exists you know, is at least one one size bigger, one cycle bigger in Elliott Wave um, stuff. And that's because they got much more creative in how to go deeper and deeper and deeper in leverage mm-hmm. to make the, the yep. fall that much harder. It's likely to see it's likely that we will see open revolt and some type of new mm-hmm. um, you know, new uh, government, you know, fascist or communist or otherwise totalitarian take place here to me it's almost like you ever see like a little toddler fall down it's like when it sort of you see it open its mouth but you don't hear anything the longer it waits before you hear the noise the louder it's going to be it's like it's just like <laughs> taking it air it's funny. And you wait it to hurry up and just you know if it just falls down you go ah! yeah. but if it waits you hear a, ah! and i think that's what's happening in our economy <laughs> that's a very interesting way to put it well thank you very much yeah Okay, you got uh, another story here for us. A whole us? bunch of them here. Okay. Um, to see if Pyro can help you pick out one. Do we want to do? What do you want to do, Pyro? Should we do uh, economic, or should we do uh, anything weird? I would recommend. Okay. Well, they they're not quite as weird. That I pretty much. Okay. I, I had all my weirdness pegged in that very first story. Well, I got a couple of UFO ones myself. Okay. So. All right. All right. Um, well, here's one. If you want to work for the president-elect Barack Obama administration, you better be prepared to, smil- to spill everything you know about yourself. Everybody loosen up. That's going for us post. Yep. Obama transition team is sending a 63-item questionnaire to every candidate for cabinet and other high-ranking positions in the incoming administration. The questions cover everything from Im- information on family members, Facebook pages, blogs, uh, and, um, and hired help to links to Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, AIG, troubled banks, lawsuits, gift, resumes, loans, uh, financial standing, and more. Man, with your dark past in all those areas, there'd be no way you could get one, could you? Probably not. Thank what about you. all your nannies? I don't know if you even paid Social Security all those, on all, all of them. All those illegal immigrants that I... Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, the transition team has about 7,000 positions to fill, according to the U.S. government printing office office's plum book. The quadrennial list of positions subject to presidential appointment, uh, including our 15 cabinet positions, well, the ambassadorships, agency heads, uh, and all that to really say to go to this next story. Uh, By the time they fill them, the administration's over. It's going to be going to be about about done. Mm-hmm. Yep. The interesting thing is that uh, you know while all that stuff's going on, they're also advertising this. Um, uh, they have this new PSA for a new work uh, service group that's sort of answerable only to the president. Really? And I've been yeah, so like the Hitler Youth or something. Well, you take no, like it's, a... com- it's completely different. They don't make you wear brown shirts. Oh, okay. Um, but Did you yeah. take allegiance to Hitler. I mean Obama. Yeah, yeah, huh. yeah. You um, 
Uh, let's see. Call to service by airing public servant. Radio stations across the country will help support President-elect Barack Obama's call to service by airing public service announcements calling on Americans to serve on the King holiday and throughout the year. To maximize participation of the King Day of Service, the National Association of Broadcasters is urged radio stations to play King Day. Uh, A little faster, please. Yeah. Um, anyway. Oh, gosh. That isn't, that isn't the one I wanted to print. I'm fired. How dare I? Well, they were just wasting <clears throat> millions of valuable people's time. Um, well, anyway, the point is is that he wants to know an awful lot about his people. And uh, he wants everybody to uh, pitch in and You can't afford not to. I mean, with all the, scru- you know, how scrupulous other mm-hmm. things are. However, even if there's a lot of bad stuff, they want to know it. But it doesn't disqualify you if you have bad stuff. It depends on because how... Because they still bring... All those guys are stinkers anyway they bring in. Well, well you know, it's Look interesting. Eric Holder, the guy who... You know, was instrumental in pardoning Mark Rich. Yeah, look at uh, Timothy Geithner, who's now our Treasury Secretary and oh. didn't pay his taxes. Yeah, little detail there. Yeah, Even though you couldn't <laughs> get a job down at Home Depot with that record, you can do it. You can getting paid a gazillion dollars maybe, with our government. Maybe state. that's what I need to do in the future. I need to start shooting higher. I need to start make your mistakes bigger. Rob, and then go for the biggest yeah. position like I possibly as, go as for. You know? Yeah. Oh, I guess he's ex-governor blog as of this afternoon. It's the day of the oh, reporting. Oh, they, they get him? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, that's right. It. Yeah, I remember that's seeing it. that. You know, the man really didn't even get a hearing, although, I, I don't know, he may have waived waived his opportunity to hearing it there. Yeah, it's hard to say. I don't know. It's hard to say. But we'll miss seeing him. Bye-bye, uh, Blago. Too bad. Would you like a... Uh, we've not had a... Well, we you already had a UFO story. What am I saying? Not technically UFOs, just outer space. Yeah, would we haven't like had an alien story in two stories. It's time for another one. <laughs> that's right. Deficient here. Yeah. Um, this is uh, one for, also from the Daily Telegraph. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, this is a very prestigious newspaper, but this mm-hmm. is this is a big story in the news over there in the UK. Mm-hmm. A former member of staff of the Ministry of Defense says alien craft have been fired at by the British military. This just came out uh, yesterday. Yeah, I heard about that. Pilots that? have apparently fired upon the unidentified objects without success since the 1980s according to Nick Pope, who used to run the Ministry of Defense's UFO project. Mm. So we've got, like, really bad aims, I guess. Um, to hit a there was a, there was a faction in the MOD who said, we want to shoot down a UFO, and that will resolve the issue one way or the other, he told the Sun. So it doesn't matter whether the UFOs are good or bad or helping us or not. Let's just shoot one of them down. <laughs> we'll mount it on the wall. There you go. Everybody look at it. We strap it across the hood. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Strap it across the hood. We know of cases where the order has been given to shoot down with little effect to the UFO. And the UFO's laughing, like saying, are these people thinking they can take us over? You I'm, know, having this, or... I'm having this vision of like a uh, an F-16 taking off with a uh, with like a tentacled purple thing hanging off the nose cone. Like tape, taped yeah. on there with, you know, yeah, stayed on there with rope. After it shot it, you yeah. know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Mr. Uh, see. Mr. Pope claimed that the RAF, Royal Air Force, only attempted to engage when the mysterious objects were perceived to be a threat. Which, that means anything is perceived to be a threat. These days, yeah. If you watch all those old sci-fi movies where you see, like, the day the Earth stood still and stuff, where you'll mm-hmm. see some alien and he's talking peace and he'll come here to see you, there's always some guy saying, look, here's some mysterious new alien life form we don't know anything about. Shoot it! Kill it! And then they start blasting, you know. Uh, so, he says, uh, in the case of UFOs, whether the object is causing a threat is very much a pilot's judgment call. 
Uh, I'm thinking a pilot sees something like that it doesn't know. It's, its first instinct is going to be push the button. Uh, the public uh, won't know unless it comes down in a heavily populated area. That's probably true. Yeah, the MOD the guys in San Diego. Right. The MOD refused to comment. Earlier this month, residents in Lincolnshire Wolds were left puzzled by the destruction of a wind turbine within hours of several sightings of strange glowing orbs. At least half a dozen residents reported seeing the orange-yellow spheres, which some residents claimed were trailing tentacles. Dorothy, there's your tentacles. Uh, Dorothy Willows, who lives a mile and a half from the wind farm, says she saw a low-flying object skimming across the sky toward the turbines on January 4th. The following morning, a 213-foot glass fiber turbine had been left crippled, with locals reporting hearing a loud bang like thunder. One of the one million uh, pound turbine 65 foot blades was ripped off and another severely damaged. Wow. And that was another real story that I saw. Is that also Ambro Pritchard? Yeah. Really? No, no, wait, wait, wait. Uh, no. 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 But he, he frequently pops up in our story, so. He does. Anyway. I, any. I got, I, well, I, you know. Got our UFO levels up. We so. got the UFO stuff, so I'll go back to my thing, which is, uh, uh, financial. What not? Okay. Just explain stuff for us dummies as you go along. Q equals X, Y, and of course we all know Black Shoals, so there you have it. <laughs> all right. Next. Mr. Contrary. In full effect. Okay. Um, this one is actually from the Wall Street Journal, and it's all about uh, how bankers' worst nightmare is coming true. Despite all the pain in the financial sector, bank executives' biggest fears biggest fear has yet to materialize now it's rearing its ugly head thanks for the sound effect was that written in there that wahoo in the story yes okay they are they're you know they've gotten so far away from any sort of journalistic contact they're just writing sound effects okay bankers that's onomatopoeia isn't it yes okay bankers worst nightmare is the unemployment rate climbing toward 10 percent at a level at which credit losses could balloon unpredictably because of high defaults among people with previously strong credit histories. Right now, bank balance sheets don't appear in a position to deal with unemployment moving sharply higher from its current 7.2% rate. Build up bad loan reserves to deal with a 9 to 10% rate could produce enormous losses and pulverize capital when banks are trying to preserve the thin cushions they have. The, ri- the fear of rising unemployment could deter lending when the government wants banks to expand credit. True, the Obama administration's stimulus plan could reduce unemployment expect- expectations. Could reduce unemployment expectations. Fat chance. But right now, banks are hoisting their joblessness for- forecasts. Last week, consumer lender Capital One Financials increased its unemployment forecast to 8.7% by the end of 2009 from its previous expectation of 7% by mid-year. Capital One added that it's building more severe unemployment scenarios into lending decisions. What's so, in your wallet? So this is all, it, it's totally throwing out all their models they use to plan their business because unemployment's getting off the sheet of what they ever mm-hmm. thought it was going to be. Exactly. And, and the whole interdependency of everything is just shaken apart. Yeah. Uh, this is scarier than the UFOs. Truly. Kelly King, chief executive of regional bank BB&T, said unemployment of 8 to 8.5% is kind of manageable, but 9 to 10% would have a dramatic impact on our scenarios. Why the trepidation of going above 9%? Take a regular credit card book. 
past data show uh, past data show that a percentage point increase in unemployment leads to a roughly percentage point rise in the charge off rate, the amount of defaulted loans written off at a loss. But as unemployment exceeds 9%, bankers think charge-offs will start to increase by more than the increase in unemployment. So they're running out of room to uh, do with their thing. Uh, according to Kevin Fitzsimmons, the situation is so extreme and beyond what we've seen in past cycles that management teams are becoming reluctant to predict the relationship between unemployment and credit losses. That's heavy duty right there. Yep. Yeah. Uh, 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 uh. So, um, you know, we could go. We could go longer, but I'll just. I'll just leave it. There. Well, the the thing is, that just points out we're in, we're in uh, unfamiliar territory. The boat, the barrel is about ready to go over Niagara, for, folks. Now, the only other, the book end of that, the other side of the coin, I guess you could say, uh, is what Mister Pritchard said mm-hmm. uh, that I was reading. Is that in some ways it does reflect 1933, but the real grim part that nobody seems to remember have a history of the social effects, the political effects of all this. So on one hand, we have a short memory mm-hmm. to remember what it's similar, but also what you're saying is it's much worse than what they've even can mathematically model. Yeah, they've their mathematical models have broken down. I don't know if a lot of people know this, but uh, uh, the Fed, the Federal Reserve, has two things in there. In their arsenal, one is the uh, overnight rate, which mm-hmm. is now at essentially zero, really mm-hmm. le- more than zero now that they're paying interest on reserves, uh, and the velocity of money, which they influence indirectly mm-hmm. by increasing and decreasing the supply of money. Um, the money multiplier, mm-hmm. uh, which is the other half of the equation that they use to fool with the velocity of money, has gone below one. So now that they've lost, now essentially the Federal Reserve has sort of lost control of both of their Thanks. That's all I have to say. Goodbye. Sorry. I didn't mean, I didn't mean to write it. I just realized our time. Yeah. We need to bring Mervin. Mervin. Uh, Mervin. Mervin. Merv, come in and yeah. tell our listeners how they can find out more about Future Quake. Future Quake radio broadcasts are archived at www.futurequake.com, suitable for downloading or streaming, as well as other show information. Email Dr. Future and Tom Bionic at drfuture at futurequake.com. That's D-R-F-U-T-U-R-E at futurequake.com. Tell us your name, city, and radio station or internet, and if we can use your name on air. Comments on the show's topics or guests or suggestions for future show topics or guests are most welcome. Dr. Future and Tom will discuss selected emails each week during the radio broadcast. Okay, we're in our grace period now. Yeah. Speaking of... Thank goodness we live in grace. There you go. Praise the Lord. Hooray keep, for grace. Keep praying. Come back next week mm-hmm. for another great uh, guest on Future Quake. Until then, we hope your future is very bright. Bye-bye. Join us next time as we dare to experience another aftershock of a future quake. 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 There are new dreams crowding out old realities. There's revolution like a fresh new breeze Let the old world make believe It's blind and